Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. <laughs> BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Gonzano, here's Peter Sampson with the Bald Face Truth. Let's crack in. Welcome to the Bald Face Truth. Peter Sampson in for John Gonzano on a beautiful Monday here in downtown Portland, coming at you live from the beautiful Pac West Center. Great to be with you. JC is out. It is vacation season. I am freshly back from vacation. Got to experience that Midwest summer humidity for the first time in my life. How can I put this? It sucked. Vacation was great. The humidity I could deal without. But I'm refreshed. I'm ready to go. I will be honest. Sitting in the Grand Rapids airport yesterday. I did catch some Blazers Summer League Championship game action. I love Summer League. If you're in Portland and you listen to my uh, my regular show during uh, drive time, 6 o'clock, The Pulse, you heard me, what, two weeks ago, a week and a half ago, I told you to bet on the Blazers to win Summer League. It was 12-1, to 13-1, to 1, I think it was, when I gave you that advice. And I said, look, you got a bunch of guys here. This was a bad team. You have an experienced team playing for the Blazers in Summer League. They've got some, they got some real reps. But at the same time, they're young enough to be motivated. You know, they're not just going through the motions. These are NBA guys. And so, of course, that hit. I did not take my own advice. I always take my own advice. If I tell you to bet on something, normally I have bet on that same action, that same game, that same prop, whatever it is. I did not put 50 down on the Blazers to win. I'll be honest. I just forgot, man. It's been busy. And, uh, you know, they start out slowly. We all want to see what Shaden Sharp is made of. He lasts all of five minutes in summer league before he injures his shoulder. Uh, and you think it's going to be a dud over the summer, right? Well, not so much. Trendon Watford. My guy, look, I'm high on Trendon Watford. I'm not as high as uh, a lot of Blazers Twitter, who I think they actually are high. Talking about Watford, they won't part with him in any deal for a superstar, this and that. No, I'm high on Trendon Watford in that I can't believe that he's shown that he's a legit NBA player. And he's a proper, he's a ninth man for a team. That's great. Good for him. I never saw that coming. He looked great this summer. And man, can we shout out Jabari Walker. Offspring of Samaki Walker. Never thought I'd uh, I'd see his uh, son in the NBA. But Jabari Walker, man, the Trailblazers, deep, deep scouting. And uh, I think this is an example of a hiring dude from Draft Express, identifying this guy and getting him with pick 57. And we don't know what he's actually going to be. Summer League. And the preseason are different things. Preseason and the NBA regular season are different things. And the playoffs are different from the regular season. So we don't know that Jabari Walker is actually a player. But I'll tell you what, he sure looked like a player this summer, didn't he? Man. And we're not just talking offensively. We're not just talking a motor. Because, look, guys like this, these second-round picks, they're fighting to earn just a contract, even a two-way, whatever it is. You can get pretty far 
with hustle, man. You really can. You you shouldn't think that you can at that level of pro sports, but you really can. But what I was most impressed with, with Jabari Walker, man, it was the court vision and the footwork. Young bigs like this, it takes some time often to really develop that footwork. You know, not everyone's Akeem Olajuwon or frankly a vintage Shaq, another guy who had great footwork but never got credit for it early in his career. He had great feet. Jabari Walker, he's already, he looks pretty smooth in the post already. Now, like I said, remains to be seen how that's going to translate to the regular season, but there are some signs here that uh, the future maybe isn't as dark as a lot of Blazer fans think it is. So you won Summer League Championship. You're the champions for the second time in, what, four years? And I get that it's meaningless. It is 100% meaningless. I know multiple outlets right now are having their joke banner raising. I've seen it, and it's funny. You know, I frankly, it's a good idea. I would have done the same. And I know they get their rings this year, and that's ridiculous too. But you can glean some things from this Summer League Championship squad. And uh, I already mentioned two of them. Another one that's very promising is Keon Johnson. Now, look, he was streaky in Summer League. He showed out a, a few games. You know, he sco- showed the scoring punch that he was believed to have when he was drafted uh, in the first round by the L.A. Clippers. He's raised his stock a little bit. I was really down on Keon Johnson, uh, well, all of last season. I mean, frankly, even with the Clippers, when he got uh, uh, played out of the rotation by a second rounder, of course, the Blazers acquire him uh, in the Norman Powell-Robert Covington trade that was pretty universally panned uh, by the Blazers fan base. He's shown a little bit. He's looked a lot better. I don't know what kind of minutes he's going to get. I don't know what kind of contributor he's going to be. But uh, he at least showed some promise. I'm not thinking that he's a total waste of a roster spot at this point. Where last year, he really didn't show much. You go, oh, great. A freak athlete that uh, has shown no ability to shoot the ball whatsoever. So there are some things that you can glean from Summer League. It's good. And, of course, Joe Cronin, GM Joe Cronin, is out doing his victory lap right now. He's uh, had some press availability. He's spoken to the media. He was on with uh, Jim Rome today. Because, look, there's a lot going on in Blazer Land. Of course, Damian Lillard's extension. They acquired Jeremy Grant. They acquired Gary Payton the second. And of course, they won Summer League. And I think in an overarching sense, what was most impressive to me about this Summer League squad, it wasn't the wins. It wasn't that they, they won a meaningless championship. It was the style of play that they played with. It was just that it was that Chauncey Billups style. You know, we've said it so many times. Chauncey Billups has a kind of quote guy that he likes and he wants you to play with some scraps, some energy, some hustle on defense. The team was doing that. Now it remains to be seen whether that's going to translate to the regular season, but my my big knock uh with the Trailblazers over the last <laughs> frankly since LaMarcus Aldridge left uh, aside from talent, it's just that they play in a sort of too cool for school way, right? It's smooth, it's skilled, and there's not a lot of hustle, there's not a lot of energy, aggression, anything like that. But this summer league team did play that way. It was great to see. It was entertaining. Summer league, not always entertaining. I love it even when it's bad, even the worst turnover prone guards getting 18 shots while centers get two shots scrappy bad YMCA game I'm still here for it I just am but uh it was really entertaining to watch this year I I really liked it and I think there are some guys on that summer league roster that are going to contribute to the Blazers 
roster this year in the regular season, but it was all about that culture, right? You can see the culture changing. You can see it shifting and organizational change is hard. It really is. In my previous life, man, it was, uh, I I was in the business world. I used to try to, uh, manage changes like that. It's hard. It's like turning the, the Titanic around. It's, it takes a long time. It's tough to do now do it in pro sports. It's even harder. And uh, when Cronin was on with Jim Rome, he uh, he told Rome about what he wants the Blazers' culture to be. One step at a time. So we're trying to build a you know an inclusive environment where we are all you know we care about each other and we care about each other's futures, and we're trying to help each other grow in this league. And with that, you know, we're trying to make our mark on this team where they're you know playing the brand of basketball that we think is conducive to winning. You know, being competitive, being great teammates, guarding, sharing the ball. So one step at a time, we're just, you know, trying to put our imprints on this organization. Yeah, and I saw that in Summer League. The real question is, are we going to see it in preseason and the regular season once the actual main guys come in? And look, Chauncey Billups, we all know what a disaster that hiring process was. And it was, make no mistake. But Chauncey Billups... It seems like the the players are bought into that culture, that supportive sort of accountability is what you call it. I'm really curious to see what that's going to look like this regular season. So congrats to the Blazers on winning the Summer League Championship. I said I didn't take my own advice. Sean McPherson took my advice and got down and won a little bit of money. I know you've been down with Summer League. What did you see, man? Oh, it was great. 12 to 1. You know, a nice little payday because of your advice. But I saw a team that, like you said, you got to go for the teams that are experienced in Summer League. You don't go for the the Oklahoma City Thunders, the Houston Rockets that have all those sexy pieces, you know, your Chet Holmgren's running around. You go for the teams that have players that care, that have players that are scrapping to make it in this league. And I think that's what Trenton Watford is. That's what Jabari Walker is. That's what Keon Johnson is. That's what Luka Garza is. The list goes on and on. Diddy Lazuda. So this team had all sorts of players that were hungry, and, you know, Trenton Watford was saying it during the game. You know, I think it really meant a lot to players that they get a ring on their finger yeah. because of winning the Summer League. So I think that the Blazers have to be excited. You know, some Blazer fans are going to be out there thinking, whatever, you know, they'll joke about it, but I think this is real stuff. Like, I think Trenton Watford has played himself onto the court from his performance on Summer League. We've seen what Jabari Walker can do, so I think there's some real – stuff here to get excited about. Yeah, you you mentioned Wofford again, your your finals, Summer League Finals MVP there. Uh, I want to go to Stephen Vaughn also on the show today. Trendon Wofford, look, I'm, I'm high on the guy, but you also can look on Twitter and talk about like he's some sort of future piece that you can't part with. I'm not going to go that far, but he really is an impressive story. You're talking a dude who really didn't even look like he belonged on an NBA court. He secured a multi-year contract. Uh, I think he's a piece. He's maybe not a key piece. He's not a starter on a good team. He's but, not uh, the backup center. He's, he's not. <laughs> I hope he's not the backup center. Let's be clear about that. Yeah, if Trinidad Watford is your backup center, you probably have problems. But at the same time, man, it's a great story, and uh, I like what I've seen from the guy. Yeah, I mean, with that said, Sean and Peter, I think he may play some small ball five this year, which is going to be a little unfortunate. But, uh, no, I mean, you guys are right out with Trinidad. I mean, to talk about an undrafted guy to get a guaranteed contract already, and same with Jabari Walker, right? Second round pick, 57th overall. He already got that guaranteed contract. I mean, that just goes to show the scouting department, the Blazers. You know, Joe Cronin makes some nice moves. Even the old Neil O'Shea bringing in Trenton Watford last season. They've done a good job in the second round. And I mean, 
I I like both their games. I don't expect much out of them this season. Anything they give you, I think, is kind of a uh, a pot like a positive that I'm not expecting. Right? I they're going to be a backup. They're going to have some good games, but I don't expect them to make that big of a difference this season, especially. But I think hopefully down the road, you hope Jabari Walker continue continue to hit that shot consistently. And if he can do that, I mean, that's the type of piece that you. Uh, can have hopefully off the bench or maybe even start later on in his career. Yeah, and I, I attribute that to uh, to Mike Schmitz, the hiring of Mike Schmitz, formerly of ESPN, and of course Draft Express. Look, the guy's got a great eye for talent. He's got a great eye for deep talent, and you can go through man his old takes. And I'll be honest, there are some clunkers in there. He was high on Myers Leonard. That's fine, but look, I mean, he he nailed Anthony Simons. Like four years ago, he had called Simons. He called Dame, you know, a decade ago. He certainly has a great eye for talent and getting a guy like Walker. Look, that's what a good team needs to do. It's not just hitting on your top 10 or top five picks. And frankly, just doing that is hard enough. But you look at the great teams, you know, these look at the Warriors, you know, getting guys like Draymond Green in the second round and, and just hitting on all these picks. Sometimes you need to get a guy deep in the draft, whether it's late in the first round, early in the second, or frankly, the fourth to last pick in the draft, period. If he can end up being a contributor at all, even if it's an end of the bench guy, your 14th man, that's still great progress. Not to mention that by doing that, you keep the flow of talent going because again the big issue in portland we all know it it's you're trying to ride two different timelines at once damian lillard just had a two-year 122 million dollar extension he's going to be here through 2026 possibly 27 because he does have a player option for that final year but at the same time you have to start building for the future no one's getting any younger here this is how you do it not to mention i mean look and he earned himself a traditional contract he's not a two-way guy you know he's not a non-guaranteed guy anything like that but that's where you get value because rookie scale players are the best value but man when you're talking second round you can get production even if it's not all-star production for literally peanuts and we talked about just how summer league's not really the regular season not right. even the preseason but to get a guy like jabari walker and trenton wofford that prove they get at least they get a shot right they may not be any good in the nba but they deserve at least a shot and to get those guys undrafted second round that's how you build good teams right because that's how sometimes those guys pop and become actual starting players or role players but just to have a guy that you drafted 57th and you can see, all right, this guy can at least play. and He deserves a chance to play in the NBA. That's a win by itself. And, and let's be clear about one thing. Just because he's a second-round pick, Trenton Watford, Jafari Walker, does not mean they have some ceiling on them. Nikola Jokic is the back-to-back MVP yep. of this league. He was picked in the 40s. He was picked during a Taco Bell ad. And <laughs> he is the back-to-back MVP of this league. So Jabari Walker, like, I, I don't think that he is, you know, going to settle as being a role guy or he's going to settle as being an eighth man in this league. You talked about it. Draymond Green was a second-round pick. Uh, Memphis has all sorts of dudes that were that were gems in the second round. All of the best franchises right now find some kind of gems in the second round, late first-round picks, second-round picks. And I, I think, you know, just because Trenton Watford, Jabari Walker were undrafted, they don't make a ton of money compared to their other teammates, doesn't mean that they can play. they can't play a significant role on this team. So I think... Again, there's so much to be excited about here. So what I want to ask here, and I want to open up this up as well, 503-417-7575, is does what we saw 
in Summer League, and again, I'm, I'm mostly talking Keon Johnson, Trendon Wofford, Jabari Walker. Does that change your outlook at all for the regular season? Look, the the, the initial over-unders are out. It's 41 and a half wins for the Trailblazers. Western Conference is really tough. Dame's going to be healthy. Nurk is going to be healthy. He's not going to be shut down, presumably. Anthony Simons is presumably going to play a full season. They've added Jeremy Grant. They've added GP2. They look like they have a couple into the bench guys that can actually do something, as seen in Summer League. For both of you guys, does this impact your, your prediction for the regular season at all? Uh, not at all. I think I think the one question that comes out of it is I always expected Trenton Watford to get a little bit of minutes. Uh, but with you talk about Keon Johnson having a good summer league. Is he going to get the minutes since it's going to be his second year in the NBA, or is that going to be Shaden Sharp off the bench? Because right now they got GP2 as a guard, but they need a guy who can kind of handle the ball, uh, not necessarily be the point guard off the bench, but a guy that can make some plays for themselves. And Keon has shown the ability to do that. Shaden Sharp obviously has some skills to do that. So who's going to get those backup minutes uh, as kind of like the offensive firepower off the bench. Is it Josh Hart if he comes off the bench, or is it Shaden Sharp or Keon Johnson? I think it's going to come down to those two, but I, I would imagine Shaden Sharp's going to get the chance since he was a seventh overall pick. Yeah, I favor Keon Johnson in that conversation. I think the one disappointing thing about this summer league is obviously Shaden Sharp didn't get those reps that he so desperately needs. So I to answer your question, Peter, I think that this uh, this just provides depth for the team. You know, the team's currently capped out 15 players, and I think you feel a little bit better about that right now. Like, sure, this team still needs a backup center, but the presence of Trenton Watford, the presence of Jabari Walker, that's two more forwards that you have on this team. So suddenly, this team that maybe at the beginning of this offseason, you think uh, they're they're kind of thin at the forward spot. Forwards are super coveted and yeah. valuable in this league. You might think that a little bit less now, because I do think that Jabari Walker can get some minutes, maybe not a ton of minutes, but I think he can, he can hold his own on an NBA court. Same with Trenton Watford. So, it provides depth, and uh, I do think that Keon Johnson, the way what I've seen from him, maybe even Brandon Williams, I think those are two guys that, again, they're not going to be out there all the time, but if there's an injury, I definitely feel a little bit better about the team right now. They're just deeper. 503-417-7575 on Twitter at Peter Sampson, S-A-M-P-S-O-N. We'll go wait, come back. More NBA talk ahead. Donovan Mitchell was in New York. A lot of rumors surrounding him. And uh, Kevin Durant still in Brooklyn. I think uh, Danny Ainge ended up screwing uh, any potential deal over with a haul that he got a couple weeks ago. And, of course, I'll talk uh, John Canzano at uh, johnconzano.com. Had a uh, new column discussing uh, uh Governor Gavin Newsom potentially getting involved in uh, UCLA's departure to the Big Ten. Uh, he had a, a great interview with a, a former state senator in Washington about some of the challenges there and uh, something that might sort of cause a wrinkle in UCLA's plans. More of the BFT ahead. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. We'll be back. Welcome back to the program. This is the Bald Face Truth on the BFT Radio Network. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano for the next few days. It's vacation season. It's the dead week in sports, you know. That doesn't matter to me. But uh, it's the only time of a uh, year where basically uh, none of the four major sports are going on right now. No major and I say major college athletics going on. Of course, the uh, the uh, uh, World Athletics Championships are going on right now. 
And uh, Devin Allen, uh, Sean, I want to come to you on this. Explain to the listeners and me what's going on with this. Uh, Devin Allen, he had a he had a false start, but it looked so borderline to me. I guess I don't understand the false start rules in track and field. Can you explain that? Yeah. So the machine basically caught him reacting to the gun too quickly. So I think uh, you know the. He didn't false start. He didn't move before the gun. Yeah. Uh, but he reacted so quickly to the gun that they deemed it. They they have this this abstract uh, number, and I believe it's one one thousandth of a second. And he reacted just before that. And so they deemed it, you know, at one one thousandth of a second, they basically deem it inhumanly possible to react that quickly. So they, they basically disqualified him for anticipating the gun or uh, maybe moving just a little bit too fast, but it was just it, it was just a real shame that uh, he got disqualified for that because it was just it was not much that he did at all. And quite frankly, I was pretty upset about it because when you add in the context of the whole situation, Devin Allen had the fastest time in the world this year. Uh, he was teetering on a world record. He was super close to breaking the world record earlier this year. Biggest moment of his track career, returning to Hayward Field for the uh, World Championships. Obviously, he went to Oregon. He's an icon at Oregon. And um, to add more context, his father tragically passed away just a couple weeks ago. And so he uh, he was running in honor of his father. He was about to get a medal, no doubt, maybe even win the whole thing. And he's about to go off to the NFL. So this was kind of his final hurrah, potentially. Um, and plus, you know, in a sport that's trying to grow, Devin Allen is a pretty popular name. A lot of NFL fans, I'm sure, were watching. A lot yeah. of football fans, they they tuned in last night wanting to watch Devin Allen, a guy that they all know because he's entering the NFL. And in a sport that's trying to grow, they probably, a lot of fans, turned it off after that. So it was, uh, for a lot of reasons, when you add in context to the situation, this silly rule uh, that they have in place. Again, it was .999, his reaction time, and it's .100 that, uh, that you are, is that kind of number. And his semifinal... Point one oh one was his reaction time. So this guy is so quick and so good at reacting to the gun, and uh, it ended up costing him. So, so yeah. what you're saying is, so he didn't jump the gun. He, he didn't, didn't beat the, the gun. gun. No, they basically just said your reaction time after the gun was too fast. Right. They don't want it to be a luck thing, and they don't want you to anticipate the gun. They want you to react to it. That's so, nonsense. Yeah. So basically, they say, okay, if you're under this number then we deem you basically anticipating it or you just kind of got lucky. And again, it was the smallest bit below that number. I think they need to remove that rule altogether. But uh, And he tried running under protest. like It was like a five-minute deal, like understandably so. He refused to leave the track, and you know he, he basically they basically had to escort him out of there. And he was going to run under protest, finish the race, and basically just figure it out later, but they wouldn't even let him do that. And so... This this thing that he's been probably dreaming about for years and years, running world championships at Eugene, it was uh it was down the window for that uh that false start. Yeah, the the weird part is if you look up the definition of a false start in track and field, a false start in track and field occurs when a runner begins a race early. The most apparent false start occurs when a runner starts before the sound of the starting gun. He started after the gun. He still got called for a false start. Like that doesn't make any sense. That's insane. And he wasn't the only one last night. There was a couple athletes who uh, who were eliminated because of because of this rule. I think it's one that they really need to reconsider. If, yeah, I'm, I'm. If you're trying to bring people into your sport, you know, I mean, look, it's track and field in many ways is the oldest sport. That along with say wrestling or something like that. But like, 
there's a lot of room to grow. Again, that turns me off. I'm trying to think right. of, a, of, a, of an arbitrary rule in a different sport like that. And I'm like, sure there's an analog somewhere, but that's stupid. I'm just yeah. going to say it. That's stupid. Think about what it takes to get disqualified in another sport. In soccer, it's a red card. In basketball, it's what? A flagrant two or yeah. you know, some two other kind of yeah. two technicals. In football, it's probably a helmet-to-helmet hit or mm-hmm. something else like that. So those are a lot more a lot more hard to do, right? Those are a lot more of flagrant actions. And in track, he, he did nothing wrong. So, like, part of me doesn't even really agree with the whole false start. You know, even if someone moves before the gun on accident, you shouldn't be taken away from your biggest, the biggest thing in your, your yeah. career, biggest moment of your career. But not only that, like, Devin didn't even react. Like, he didn't even move before the gun. And they clearly, uh, they still took him away from his uh, from his home crowd, and he was going to medal, and America was going to go one, two, three, because America ended up going yeah. one, two with two other athletes. So uh, it was it was a real real shame. So and you're you're kind of the track and field guy here. I know that that uh, you have a pretty good understanding. Of what would you do to change that? Do you do you lower that time? Because I understand not wanting to eliminate in general. Then you have just nonstop false starts. You know, people trying to just uh, not jump the gun, but but really maximize their time. What do you what do you do to fix yeah, this? Yeah, you lower it. I think you lower that time because humans, I think, are just getting so much better. Because again, like. Because you can uh, train been, a reaction time, you yeah, can do that. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, yeah, I think I think that uh, you you lower that time because it's clearly too too much of a time right now. And humans like Devin Allen are, are getting so good at reacting to that gun in a in a nanosecond. Uh, I think you lower it because again, Devin Allen was not the only athlete that this happened to yesterday. He was the most notable athlete. But uh, this has been a trend, and it's a real shame because distance athletes don't have to deal with this. Throws athletes, like other track and field athletes, don't deal with it. It's only the sprints uh, that you know have these arbitrary rules when it comes to false starting. So it's just uh, it's super unfair. Yeah, yeah, that's disappointing. Because again, for sort of a lay person like me, like look, man, I knew, I know. Usain Bolt. That's it. That's the name I know in track right. and field. But I, I know Devin Allen. I knew he was participating. And and absolutely, if that happened, I'm turning this thing off. Yeah. And if I went down there to go see, I mean, I mean, hometown, yeah, like, the th- this is the moment. People were there I for been Devin livid. Allen. I would have been were, livid. Exactly. People were there for Devin Allen. And, I, you know, you can't blame the official. Like, a lot of people are going to point to the individual that was that was working with Devin Allen and explaining what he did wrong. You got to blame the system. So it's a uh, it's a it's a real shame, and it's a it's a shame for the whole event. And you know, luckily there's a whole another week of this thing. But you really have to feel for uh, for Devin Allen, who, you know, a lot of people have been saying like he's off to the NFL, and you know, yeah. good for him because track and field like clearly did him wrong yesterday. So. Yeah, that's that's tough to see, man. There's, I mean, we're we're on in Eugene, Fox Sports, Eugene, man. I'll I'll get some thoughts on that. Maybe someone was there. Five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five. That just seems so unfair. And look, the, the whole point of sports it's to have a fair scenario and may the best man or woman win. That's what it is. And we know it's not always like that. We see that all the time. In the NBA, there's some BS foul call. Or in the NFL, they just don't even know what's a catch anymore, and we don't know what pass interference is anymore. And I get that, but it's not like someone's just automatically disqualified. It's not like Mike Evans catches a pass from Tom Brady, and it's questionable, and then they go, nah, you're out. You know, mid mid Super Bowl or mid playoff game or something like that. It's just that's such a tough scenario. I I, I 
they got to do better than that. They have to. 503-417-7575. Go away. Come back. I did want to talk Donovan Mitchell on the other side, but I wanted to get Sean's thoughts on that. He's our uh, a resident track and field expert. Um, of course, uh, knowing anything about track puts you much higher than me, so I appreciate you having you here. So we'll go come back. We'll talk Donovan Mitchell and uh, Kevin Durant. Are more moves on the horizon. Peter Sampson in for Kanzano on the BFT Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Peter Sampson in for John Kanzano on the BFT. He's enjoying some well-deserved time off. Appreciate everyone that participated in the uh, BFT Celebrity Golf Tournament on Friday. I was sad to miss it. Normally, I am part of that. It's awesome to get down there. I was out of town. Uh, Sean and Steven, I know that you guys uh, helped uh, run that show. How was it, man? Everything, uh, I I haven't checked it out yet, but everything went well. It looks like the pictures were great. It was a beautiful day. How how did it turn out? I hope so. I hope everything went well. (laughs) I I had a lot of fun. I hope hope people enjoyed our broadcast on Thursday. It was was really cool to be able to... meet slash catch up with a lot of the celebrity golfers beforehand we were non-stop doing interviews from about 11 to 2 and then the show kind of ran itself uh from there so all in all i think the the golf tournament itself went really well i, I know shante leggins team from the university of portland uh they ended up winning it uh team shoe mill they were so mm. uh it was it was fun to watch the leaderboards and it was uh, it was even more fun to be able to to meet and you know, greet with all the uh, the celebrities. I had a blast. Yeah, I mean, I said this on day of and the day after, but, you know, Sean did a great job just filling in late notice. I mean, just yeah. unexpected things happen here at the station all the time. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty new, so, you know, I had to step up. But Sean, just to go out there and start interviewing people for such a big event, it's such an important event, uh, you know, he did a great job. So it, I think it went pretty well, uh, all things considered. That's awesome. It's one of the best days of the year. Everyone comes out. It's really friendly. Uh, so you mentioned who won. I was going to ask because I know the competitive juices get flowing a little bit out there. Shante Leggins, team? Yeah. I'm not surprised, man. I've met that guy. I've met him out there uh, a couple times. He's just got a – did you have a chance to talk with him? Never got a chance to talk with <sighs> him. Talked to both Portland State basketball coaches. Uh, our – uh, Jim Ferretti, who is my partner yeah. out there, he he ended up talking to him, but yeah. I personally didn't. Shante Leggins has that juice, man. I, I talked to him for ten minutes, and we're just hey, tell me about the program. He was it was when he was uh pretty new coming in, and uh, man, I, by the uh, the end of the 10, 15 minute conversation, I was ready to go do a hundred push ups for the guy. It was unbelievable. Well, as a college basketball junkie, like especially small college, Portland is yeah. actually on the rise. They yeah, won their oh, first postseason. Well, game. I mean, they have to be right. They can't, it can't get worse. <laughs> But yeah, they won their first postseason game this past season. They have a lot of returners, got a couple transfers, so they actually might be pretty solid. Yeah, and especially, I mean, coming up, look, I, I'm i a native Portlander, man. I got so much love for Terry Porter, but that was a situation that just needed to end, Disaster. and it was it was so tough to see, man. So, uh, yeah, Leggins, man, he's, he seems to be the right fit. Yeah, and when you're playing in the WCC like the University of Portland is, like that's high-level basketball mm-hmm. these days, right, with not only Gonzaga, who we all know is a powerhouse, but you know the WCC had two lottery picks this year. It had uh, it had a kid from Santa Clara get back, picked by the Thunder at I think uh, eleven or twelfth. So yeah, you have St. Mary's, you have Gonzaga, you have BYU. Like that's high level basketball, and hopefully uh, University of Portland will be on the rise. But after talking to Chelsea Gregg, Jace Coburn, uh, the Portland State basketball coaches, 
I know the stadium or the arena. I haven't been there, but it's right down the road here. I, I can't wait to get out there this winter. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to see. I haven't been since it was the old uh, Peter Stotts Center there. I used to go play pickup basketball there all the time. And, uh, yeah, they've done a lot of work, and everything is, is good now. So hopefully they have a great season. I want to thank everyone that participated, everyone that, that came out and golfed, everyone that, that bid on a spot to get out there on the course. Man, it's just it's just a, such a fun day. It's beautiful out at the reserve. I want to thank them for partnering with Canzano for I don't even know how many years in a row it's been now. But it's a great event. It's for good. Of course, proceeds go to the BFT Foundation. Uh, of course, Camp Exceptional, I believe, was. Yeah, uh, it's going this week. Yeah, this yeah, yeah. week, which is why John's off. So uh, it's all for a good cause. We get to have fun. It's all good. And it's great to see all our participants out there, celebrity, celebrity or not. It's it's just awesome to get out there. So, yeah, yeah. shout out uh, Portland State Basketball. Shout out UP Basketball. And uh, you mentioned uh, uh, Jalen Williams. I, am I tripping? I haven't paid much attention. Do, do the Thunder have two Jalen Williams yeah, yeah. now? Yeah. yeah. They drafted uh, the big man out of Arkansas in the second round, Jalen Williams. It's spelled differently, though. Yeah. like So they do. They have two Jalen Williams. Yeah. How are they going to work that out? I don't. <laughs> people have been talking about that's like a nightmare for the broadcasters. It's oh, a nightmare geez. for the coach. Like, I, they must have really liked the second Jalen Williams enough to, you know, they probably thought it out. Like, okay, we're going to have two guys with the same name on our team, but they must have really thought he was a steal. Uh, and personally, like Jalen Williams was on Arkansas, the team that beat Gonzaga, and I'm a Gonzaga yeah. fan, and yeah. that's the guy that did a really nice job on Chet Holmgren and. Uh, so personally, I don't think of that Jalen Williams in the highest regard because of my competitiveness uh, in wanting Gonzaga to win that game. But I, do, I certainly remember him from March Madness. The positive is they at least play two different positions, right? Like Jalen Williams, the big man, and Jalen Williams, the wing. So, you know, it's a little easier, but yeah, it's a little weird. Get some Williams to Williams action. It's like a bad sitcom. The Williams of Williams bros. <laughs> Something like that, man. Uh, speaking of high-level basketball, Donovan Mitchell. Uh, was in New York. He was at a uh, Brooklyn Cyclones minor league game amid rumors that he's going to be headed to the Knicks. Now, that's not why he was there. I saw that he was in New York, and I kind of went, hmm, that's interesting. He threw out the first pitch. It turns out this has been in the works for months. I had no idea, but uh, Donovan Mitchell's dad used to coach the Cyclones, and they were holding Donovan Mitchell bobblehead night. You know you're a star when (laughs) a completely different sport has a bobblehead giveaway with your bobblehead on it. But, uh, I mean, there seems to be a lot of smoke here with Mitchell to the Knicks. Of course, the Jazz are blowing it up. They uh, they got a huge, huge haul for Rudy Gobert. I was sitting in this exact chair when that trade went down a couple weeks ago. Uh, you presume that, uh, I mean, it seems like the, the Jazz have to be going on a full rebuild and looking at what they can get for Donovan Mitchell. Is the, is the Knicks a good landing spot for Donovan Mitchell? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think it's a good spot for them because they just need somebody that's good. And I understand that getting Donovan Mitchell is not going to elevate them to the NBA championship. It may not even elevate them to the actual playoffs. They're probably a play-in team at this point if they get Mitchell. But it's about building for the next season, the next season out. Like, there's so few guys in the NBA. There's maybe a handful, five, six guys that actually could lead your team to a championship if they change teams. And, of course, Mitchell is not one of them. But if you're the Knicks, you got to get some type of star. And so I think it's just a building block to hopefully move up uh, you know, next season. Let, yeah. me, let me play devil's advocate on it. Uh, right now, the Knicks, maybe their two best players. Well, I don't want to dis- disrespect Julius Randle too much. But two I'm of here three, for Julius Randle slander, by the way. Two of their three best players are R.J. Barrett and Jalen Brunson, two guards. And so if the, if the Knicks pick up 
Donovan Mitchell, and they trade a bunch of young pieces, probably not R.J. Barrett. They're just going to have three guards rolling out there, and none of those guys play defense. You know, maybe R.J. Barrett is respectable, but Jalen Brunson and Donovan Mitchell, I think, are, are pretty well known for not being good defenders. So I don't really see it working. Uh, I think they would get attacked defensively quite a bit. But at the same time, like what Steven said, like it's it's not about when you're in New York in a big market like that, it's not as much about collecting those young players yeah. and, and building for the future. You want to win every second. You want, you always want to be in win-now mode. And bringing in a young star like Donovan Mitchell, who is just getting better and better and is a star in this league, I think can have a trickle effect of bringing in more guys and, and starting to build their team that way because that's the way New York – LA they want to build their team it starts with one star yeah you bring a great point about the defense man I know Rudy Gobert took some shots you know his quote-unquote defensive rating was up a little bit and if you don't know up is bad uh you know but look you look at that jazz team and I know you know Quinn Snyder had such a rep as a defensive coach which for good reason but watching them last year some of those defenders like I think they would have been better just putting traffic cones out there instead of Donovan Mitchell on the perimeter Gobert cleaned up it still a lot of mistakes and I think if this move happens man and I know they have Mitchell Robinson who is nice he's probably a better shot blocker than straight up defender but I think there are a lot of mistakes that are going to get exposed there but again it's it's glitzy it's star power you have this exciting backcourt Jalen Brunson you know he's not the guy but if you got a dude like Mitchell he's a great secondary piece I don't know if it would work but the whole point is just to sell tickets right well I think we're underestimating Donovan Mitchell a little bit too because he did lead the Jazz to be the number one seed in the Western Conference. Like that's not that was that a, happened. They were the number one seed. Yeah, they were. That was a real thing. They mm-hmm. were the one seed in the Western Conference, and he wow. was their off. He was their offense all star. And so I, I, I do think we underestimate Donovan a little bit in that sense. I think he's a really good player. He's still only twenty five. He's one of the better playoff performers uh, in this league so far at being so young. And the problem is, is and you talked about this, the Rudy Gobert trade just ruined everything. Danny Ainge. Screwing the Timberwolves and getting five first round he picks. He screwed the entire picks. trade market. Yeah, because it was known basically like, all right, three first round picks, and that's how you're going to get a superstar from another team. But now it's five, and you could argue Donovan Mitchell is better than Rudy Gobert. So it's like, if I'm Danny Ainge, I'm starting at at least six. And if you're the Knicks, that is a lot of capital to give up for a guy like we talked about isn't quite to that elite superstar level, but is really good. Yeah, see, and that's that question is, are they going to have to give Barrett back? You know, oh, we'll knock that down to four picks or, you know, or yeah. three first rounders and two pick swaps, but you have to give us R.J. Barrett as well. I, and I mean, that's the reason that Kevin Durant's still in Brooklyn, right? Is because you just saw what Rudy Gobert got and Brooklyn's looking at that like, man, we have KD right now. We're, you know, the the word is, we talked about this on the Pulse lap. Last week, week before, not last week, uh, not last out. week. I was out. Yeah, the previous week, where the the rumor is, uh, the the Timberwolves actually called and just inquired about Kevin Durant, and they said we want Carl uh, Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, and three first round picks. Uh, no, thank you. Like I know you do everything you can to get Kevin Durant, but that's a bridge too far for anybody. I mean, you just can't do that. So Danny Ainge, in a way, he really kind of uh, screwed up the whole trademark. I am KD. I. Think is still going to get moved. I wouldn't be surprised if it happens in August. You always see kind of a lull with these big time moves, and then maybe it happens before camp. Um, it wouldn't shock me 
if he doesn't get moved and he's back in Brooklyn, because I don't think the Nets are really going to try to appease him. They're going to say, no, man, we got Kevin Durant. But you wonder about his value. Like, again, as a, as a Blazers fan, I'm saying, and it's not possible anymore because they're hard cap, but I'm saying you do everything you, you can to get a Kevin Durant, but that's because you don't have Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns and all these picks. So I... I just don't know that there's equal value for a Kevin Durant in, with four years left on the deal. I think the Nets are really going to resist moving him. I still think there's a chance it happens in August, but it remains to be seen. Well, the interesting part also with that is, do you think other teams are going to jump in on this Donovan Mitchell deal? Knowing that he is available and that Danny Ainge is willing to just do it for draft picks. You talked about the Blazers should have done everything to get Durant. Donovan Mitchell is going to be a really good player. Is there going to be another team besides New York, besides Miami, you know, maybe even a team like Oklahoma City Thunder, who have a lot of young players, a lot of draft picks, are they going to go? Is there going to be another team that jumps into the Donovan Mitchell sweepstakes? Yeah, I, I, I could see it. I could see it. I, I think Miami. I think Orlando. I think Denver. I can name a bunch of teams that could use Donovan Mitchell's services that not necessarily want to be bad next year. I think Utah is one of the teams that wants has a goal of completely blowing it up. Yeah. I, I think they are uh, one of the teams that are eyeing the number one pick next year. So it'll be a very interesting staring contest between Danny Ainge and the rest of the league because I feel like Utah doesn't want to go into next season with Donovan Mitchell because I I feel like they want to lose a lot of games next year and, you know, have a, a top one or two pick and get a guy in the next year's draft that they can build around. And that doesn't happen. We just saw it with Portland. That doesn't happen if you start, if you go into the season with intention of winning games. We saw that. That's why Portland ended up getting the seventh pick despite a historic tanking job. And I think it's the same thing with Utah here. I, I think that they really do want to get rid of Donovan Mitchell. There's a reason that Shams is tweeting and Woj is tweeting like, you know, they're starting to listen to offers for Donovan Mitchell. Like, I don't think that's just a coincidence. Yeah. Like, I do think that Utah wants to shop him, but they want such a high price. So I'll be curious to see who budges first. Yeah, it, it would be interesting to see if we get closer to the regular season because that's a great point. I mean, the Blazers <laughs> Blazers were the worst team I've ever seen in the last two months of the season. They waited too long to tank. It, it, exactly. And so there is that sort of price you pay if you go into the regular season. But you, you mentioned OKC. If somehow you do go into the regular season of Oklahoma City, somehow is 500 into the first month of the season. You go, oh, hey, maybe we're better than we thought. We have a million picks and a million young players we can sort of accelerate our timeline remains to be seen what's going to happen there respect on the blazers name summer league champions it's basically the same (laughs) last year (laughs) that's right baby let's go they can never take that ring away from us that's why they won summer league it was the same roster they had at the end of regular season exactly we're playing together for for months easy money baby easy money 503-417-7575 we'll go away come back and wrap up our number one i'm peter samson and for john canzano this is the bald face truth Welcome back to the Bald Face Truth. Peter Samson in for John Canzano. <laughs> I just saw this. Fox Sports has had to apologize. You know, always celebrities, networks, media entities are always apologizing for stuff. Some of it's dumb. You shouldn't have to apologize. I mean, don't get me wrong. Did they write it out on like the notes thing on the on the iPhone? <laughs> right, right. But that being said, Fox Sports has apologized for superimposing Yankees and Red Sox logos. I cannot believe this is real. Over 
the September 11th Memorial at the World Trade Center. Yeah, you heard that right. They superimposed Yankees and Red Sox logos over the September 11th Memorial Pools at the uh, the World Trade Center site leading into a commercial break. Uh, that was on uh, over the weekend. And uh, right, look... Don't get me wrong, man. We we live in a, a world of fake outrage, and everyone has to be outraged at something. And don't get me wrong, even man, even I succumb to it too. Sometimes I try not to. Just try to be understanding, and we're all mostly the same. I'm gonna be honest. This was a terrible idea, and you you, you probably shouldn't do that. That's very very disrespectful. So, uh, uh, no surprise, no surprise that they have apologized. I'm just wondering how in the world, what meeting do you have where you're sitting around a conference uh, table, sitting there, you know, enjoying your bagels and your lukewarm Starbucks coffee. How do you decide that this is a good idea? I don't understand it. I blame the kids. I'm going to go old man right now, 35. I'm blaming the kids, like people's Sean age. It's probably some intern just like, hey, look at this. This is pretty cool. But how does that get through? Like Fox Sports is such a big entity, and this is clearly a big broadcast for them. So, so many people have to approve that graphic. Like, I just don't understand when mistakes like this happen. I, on such a high stakes, you know, broadcast here and a high stakes network. How does how does that happen? And here? that's the thing. I saw a uh, a uh, uh, a radio station here in Portland last year, maybe two years ago. They they did something. It wasn't as bad as this. This is bad, but they did something, and everyone had to get all outraged over it, and it was dumb. And then someone called them out, and they're like, "I want to know how you surely you had pre production meetings and this and that and all." And I was like. You're talking to a sports radio station. I assure you none of that happened. But again, this is Fox Sports national weekend stuff. There had to have been production meetings on this. I don't know how it slips through. Yeah, the problem is also just in America, like we're trying to make money off of everything. So like they do have like T-shirts and hats with like the memorial on it as well. So like I can understand where they can think like, oh, maybe this we're just trying to, you know, you know, it's so bad. Like there's no way around it. Like it's so bad. It's hard to argue, but like. There are people just try to make money off of everything. So maybe they just thought we're trying to do something cool and commemorate it, but it, it just did not go through. Just so I understand, they did this because it was a New York baseball game against the Red Sox. Yeah, yeah, Yankees yeah. Red Sox. Okay. Yeah, and uh, I mean, <laughs> the Yankees crushed them, fourteen to one. Aaron Judge hit two home runs. He tied Roger Maris for the most most uh, homers before the All Star break. So, if you're a Yankee fan, it was a great game. But I'm imagining, and, and I mean, the, your point about maybe it was an age thing. You know, if you're young enough, you don't remember how just horribly traumatic that day was, especially if you're from New York. I'm imagining someone that lived through that actually watching this game going what the hell are you doing there's no excuse for it. there's no excuse for it and i mean don't get me wrong i'm not gonna demand oh someone needs to lose their job you know maybe not but maybe just it's it's so unbelievable i couldn't believe it was real i saw the link i was like how bad could this actually be okay pretty bad all right hour number one in the books coming up on the second hour more of me peter samson in for john canzano it's the bald face truth B-F-F-T. From the Pack West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, in for John Canzano, here's Peter Sampson with the bald-faced truth. Hour number two of the bald-faced truth. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. He's taking a well-deserved week off. Camp exceptional getting underway this week. It's awesome. 
It's one of the best events of the year. And, of course, sports fans are going to have to dig a little deeper to get their fix this week. This is its what we call Dead Week. It's the one week of the year where none of the four major sports are in action. MLB is on its all-star break. NFL, NBA, NHL, major college sports are out of season. Don't get me wrong. It's not completely empty. Home run derbies tonight. All-star game is tomorrow. There's soccer, tennis, WNBA action this week. The ESPYs, if you care about that, it's on Wednesday. What are you planning to watch this week? Let me know on Twitter at Peter Sampson S A M P S O N. Let me know what's a good, what's an underrated summer sport. What's something that's not on the radar? Like Sean, I know track and field going on right now. Yeah, sell me on this. How about ninety miles down the road? We have the best athletes in the world competing against each other. The best sprinters, the fastest people in the world, the strongest people in the world. The best athletes in the world—they're all uh, competing 90 miles down the road. And if you can't, uh, if you can't catch it, you know, if maybe you can't afford it, like myself, it's super expensive. But uh, it's still on—it's still on TV all the time. Check it out on CNBC, NBC. You, there's some fireworks coming up. Yeah. So sell me on this a little bit. Like, what events are you specifically into or watching for? Like, what what's what's what about the 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 track and field championships? Does sure. It for you? Yeah, yeah. I like the running events. Um, a lot of it is because I have a background in track and field and, um, you know, kind of relate to it a little bit. But, yeah, I just kind of fall in love with the running events and specifically events to watch out for. Uh, Sydney McLaughlin, she should be a household name if she isn't already. She is a world record holder in the 400 hurdles. She's going to be competing pretty soon. She's expected to break her own world record. Uh, Rye Benjamin and uh, Karsten Warholm produced one of the, the best Olympic races in history last year against each other. Two incredible 400-meter hurdle athletes on the men's side. Those two are going to be competing against each other tomorrow night. Uh, men's 1,500 meters is also tomorrow night. That's also one of the, the, the most fun distanced events in the, uh, in the entire sport. And then uh, the men's 200. It has a couple of amazing Americans that uh, have quite the heated rivalry against each other. And those two... That actually starts tonight, and so there's a uh, there's a heated rivalry between two just amazing Americans, uh, and uh, they are. I'm excited to see who who comes out on top. I like it, man. That's great, Stephen. I want to come to you, man. It's it's the so-called dead week in sports. What are you watching this week, or what's a good underrated summer sport? Oh man, that's tough, man. I. I don't know. I mean, track's okay. My wife's a track coach, so I get, I get enough track talk oh, all the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it's mostly just like studying up for college football, like because the transfer portal is so yeah. big. Like that's kind of what I've been doing is just kind of reading up on college football stuff like that. Phil Steele magazine coming out. Yep. Like that's the type of stuff that I'm into. It's more like studying for the fall events rather than uh, the actual summer events. But I'll be watching the Home Run Derby today. I always like the Home Run Derby. I think it's kind of fun. Yeah, man, just on a quick tangent, is there anything better than the day you get that Phil Steele magazine delivered? It's like the Bible, man. It's it is. Like, oh. Sell me on that. I've never been into that. Oh, bro. Okay, so uh, Phil Steele, it's uh, the college football preview magazine. It's it's usually, what, about 280, 300 pages? <laughs> yeah, only. And no, no, no. But it has enough content of like a 700-page book. And it's, it's uh, it goes through the major conferences and a few of the minor conferences so has, as well. It has all the D1s yeah, in there. Yeah, all D1s. And it's the amount of uh, uh, analysis, predictions, Oh, it's it's unbelievable. It's it, it's everything you could possibly want to know as you prepare for the the uh, the upcoming season. And I'll be honest, like I personally rely on that. Like having to do, we used to do the college football game day Saturdays here on the flagship station here, and uh, 
it's one of those things where having that information at hand, it really educates me on the game I'm about to watch. Now, don't get me wrong. Come week seven or eight, you'd, it's handy. But when you're coming in, you're not even in Pac-12 play yet. It's game one or two. What am I looking for? Who's supposed to pop here? Who's not? I kind of have my own idea on some of these things, but the uh, the Phil Steele mag, and there's a few different ones as well. There's the Street and Smiths and a few different ones that maybe aren't as great, in my opinion, but it totally gets you prepped so you can be an expert coming into this game. You have all your, your analysis done for you. Then you actually watch the game. What happened? You have your takeaways. You combine it, and it just turns you, even if you're just a fan watching the game at home. You know what I mean? You're just kicking back on the couch. You got an IPA in your hand, and you're just wanting to watch some college football. That is the thing that takes you from informed fan to absolute expert, just absolute expert when it comes to watching college football. So Sean, man, I tell you, highly recommended, man. I don't even remember what it cost. It's like 20 bucks or yeah. something like that. And it's it's spectacular. And with the transfer portal too, like you talked about Peter, like if you want to know anything about anybody, that, that's what you're going to read because it gives you the, the starters, the backups, the backup backups, the recruiting classes, like everything. And there's just so much movement now in college football, yeah. not just like outside of three alignment, but inside with you know all that transfer stuff like You'll forget about guys who are like, oh, yeah, you know what? Dylan Gabriel goes to Oklahoma now. He used to be the UCF quarterback. So now we got to see how is he fitted with that team. So it's definitely it, uh, a must pick it, if you want to get into college football. And especially like his predictions for overall offensive and defensive ratings. Like the individual player projections are great, but you can, it'll be some ACC team you haven't watched at all. Like, oh, I haven't watched them in, in two years, but you can know that they project to be a top 25 defense in the country. And then you can go like, OK, so I'm looking at this game. This is probably going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game. And they got this, you know, they have this left tackle that's just unbelievable. I'll, in my car, I have last seasons, man, and it's oh, wow. it's drawn all through because I keep tabs as the season goes. I'm filling in the uh, the schedule. I'll bring it in so you can take a look at it. It's you absolutely want this if you're going to talk college football this year. What's our cost? What, what are we looking? It's like twenty bucks, maybe okay. twenty five. Yeah, 20, and 25, you get a you get a physical, and then you you get a you get a access to. It's essentially a PDF, but you have to log in to get it every time. But uh, you get the digital access early. Digital access might be out already, actually. But uh, man, you definitely want it. That's one of those things, like the physical copies. I love having the physical copy, like just like the brackets in the NCAA tournament, like, filling in the scores each week. Yeah, yeah like I want to have that physical copy. I don't want to have to download the app or download PDF. Like mm -hmm. that, this is maybe that's just old school me, but I want the physical copy in my hands just to look at it. Uh, I'm right there with you. Five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five. Let's go to the phone lines. If you could punch him up, Sam in Vancouver. What's up, Sam? Hey, I just wanted to 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 preach about that Phil Steele. Yes. That is an absolute Bible, even for the guy that just likes to watch an occasional mm -hmm. Saturday game. You want to talk about a freaking rabbit hole that will take you down? And plus, the fact that he has to have, like, what, a page, page and a half of the abbreviations for everything that you could possibly think of, what the dude had for breakfast when he was five years old or what have you. You've got this, the Phil, Phil Steele thing, I look forward to every year. It you it is worth the money. It is the Bible. It is phenomenal. And the dude's predictions are usually like seventy five to eighty percent correct. 
So it kind of helps you on that, maybe that betting line too. Yeah, 100%. Appreciate the call, Sam in Vancouver. Man, yeah, it's it's spectacular. I've had Phil Steele uh, on the show, and he start basically as soon as the season is over, he starts his uh, legwork for the next edition of the magazine. He's plugged in with a lot of the recruiting guys. He's plugged in with a lot of the coaching staffs, and that's what really separates it. It's not just that publicly available information that he's compiling. And even if it was just that, it would be worth the money. I mean, especially in our line of work, but he's so plugged in with all of these different organizations and he, he conducts interviews for months and months and puts it together. And uh, Sam, our caller in Vancouver, he's not exaggerating. It's a full page, page and a half of just abbreviations and what they mean so that then he can cram everything into just a couple pages for each team. It's, it's so dense. Yeah, you got the HT for highly touted VHT, very mm-hmm. highly touted, just how they recruited. But yeah, the things I like to read also like, they have articles that are just like the best position groups or uh, like who the surprise teams are, like who had a really good season and why they did and why they're going to come back down a little bit. Like he has a whole couple pages on that, which always interests me just to see how sometimes in sports teams can get lucky and have a really good season, have a memorable no season. He kind of calls them out and says, you know what? They're going to come back down to earth a little bit. Yeah. Like UCLA was a great example of that too. Whereas, you know, going back to the, the prior season where it's like, yeah, record wise, they had a poor year. And of course, you know, you know, their quarter, uh, Dorian, uh, uh, Thomas Robinson, you know, he's expected to take a, you know, a smaller step forward, which he did, but not only that, but like six of their losses were by less than five points. That's not necessarily going to hold year in year out. So they're going to regress a little to the mean, but they're going to climb to the mean a little bit. And it's not that they had an elite season or anything, but it's, they also, you know, they weren't a three and nine team. So uh, just getting all that information, because, man, I don't have time to watch a hundred different college football games right. every weekend. I tried. I tried when I was new and you learn to kind of pick your spots, make sure to really, really watch the Pac-12 and know the Pac-12. But so you, you want to be able to, you know, at least have some information on everybody. You never know when someone's going to call up and be like, yeah, man, can you talk to me about Liberty? Man, I just want to know. You're like, uh, actually, I can. Give me a second. Let's do it. Yeah, Phil Steele. I got to get him back on the show. He is such a wealth. He started as a... I think he started uh, in the 90s doing a like a newsletter or one of the old uh, like the Usenet sites where, you know, you'd always have the extension on your email and you could do the Usenet um, kind of precursors to chat rooms. You know, things yeah. became chat rooms and then became essentially social media, obviously. But he got back, he got into this so long ago. And it was one of those things where you could subscribe to his Usenet and download the uh, the email newsletter. And eventually he, he went uh, all in. And just started the publication, and it's it's man, I I look forward to it every year. It gets me fired up for yeah. college football. Man. Like back in the day, me and my brother, we would get it, and you know we'd get the NCAA football video game, and we would insert the guys' names because you couldn't have their names at that point. We would insert like the all the Pac-12 players or all the teams. You know, he'd be University of Oregon, put in all the players' names because it has all that information. So like. I'm with you. Like it just gives me fired up to just talking about it. Just uh, read it. So I, I, I think you should get it. Sean. It's really fascinating to me. Just uh, the new age of sports media, and it feels like sports media and entrepreneurship kind of cross over a lot these days. And people have just gotten so creative in providing content in different ways. And a lot of people are creating their own content, creating their own publications. I mean, the host of this show, yeah. right, JohnKinzano.com. Uh, just it, it's it's really fascinating to me just the different ways like i feel like it used to be and maybe i can't speak i'm not an expert on this but it feels like it used to be like you work for a newspaper you work for a radio station it feels like these days there's a lot of different ways to provide content and be a journalist to people and uh you know kind of give people that inside 
uh, information and sounds like Phil Steele. I'm sure he makes a lot of money doing this, doing this kind of, it, it might even be a hobby for him, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely a full-time job. I don't know how much money he actually makes because of the printing costs and I, it's, it's a great idea though. Oh, it sounds like he's marketed himself. He, really he well. is. Uh, I've already gotten multiple requests to share a link to that. So I, uh, I shared one on Twitter at Peter Sampson, S-A-M-P-S-O. And if you don't know what we're talking about, I know, uh, there's a good chance you do. And yeah, it looks like the physical edition, man, Steve, Stephen, we're only eight days away. July twenty sixth is uh, is the the day that it comes off the presses. Let's go. Let's go. Call, see, there's two things that get me fired up. I'm feeling really down on college football right now. Honestly, it has nothing to do with the the actual sport being played. It's all the nonsense around it. I'm just so tired of it. I'm tired of NIL, even though I ostensibly I support NIL. I do, but I'm just, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of this UCLA, USC nonsense. We're going to end up with just two super conferences. It's all a mess. There are two things that get me fired up again. One is holding a brand new crisp Phil Steele edition in my hands. And the second, man, it's that first day, usually in uh, uh, September, where it's still sunny. It's still going to be like 73, 74 degrees outside. But you wake up, and it's crisp in the morning. And you can see your breath just a little bit at 7 in the morning. You go, it's college football season, baby. Uh, Let's go. I hope that first day I go to bed that night still optimistic after my Ducks played Georgia. (laughs) Because that might might be a tough, might be a tough one. You know, might wake up feeling great that morning, and then you watch the Ducks go to Atlanta and, you know, play the defending national champions, and then you're like, you go to bed that night, man, I really hate college football. None of this matters. Yeah, it's possible. Let's talk about that on the other side. I do want to talk a little bit of Ducks football. We'll go away, come back, and we'll talk about Dan Lanning. Look, he's done a great job recruiting. We'll run some of that down. But uh, how are they actually going to do this season, and uh, can they hang with Georgia? Not can they beat Georgia, can they hang with Georgia? We'll talk about it next. Welcome back to the program. Bald Face Truth, Samson in for Canzano. Appreciate you rolling with me. Taking you to 6 o'clock statewide. If you're in Portland, you get a bonus hour of me as I host my local show, The Pulse, on our flagship station, 750 The Game, from 6 to 7. I just purchased my Phil Steele magazine during the break. I didn't know that they had the custom covers, too. I got that Northwest uh, uh, magazine cover with uh, Ducks, Beavers, Huskies, and uh, Boise State thrown in there, too. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I've always just had the national cover. Yeah, disrespect for the Cougs there. A uh, little bit, right? Come on, Come on man. But uh, I do want to talk a little bit of college football. You got me. This was not planned. Uh, I did not have this on the show sheet. I just got fired up talking about Phil Steele. Uh, so, look, 24-7 Sports gave wide receiver Jurian Dickey his fifth star, makes him the number two wide receiver in the nation. He is now Oregon's highest-rated wide receiver commit ever. He joins Dante Moore, who's the highest-rated quarterback commit in school history. Not to mention, who's that offensive tackle they landed? Uh, Josh Connerly Jr. Dan Lanning, man, he has hit the ground sprinting when it comes to recruiting. It's great news for the Ducks. But we do want to see it on the field a little bit here. I'm feeling optimistic. But, again, the last uh, regime were also great recruiters. 
let's see, how can we put this? There were play calling challenges in the moment uh, from time to time. And by that, I mean uh, fairly frequently over the course of two or three years. Really ready to see what Lanning and his staff can do. Not to mention, I'm I'm ready to be done with all the non-gameplay nonsense that has surrounded this sport for the last 18 months or so. I just want to enjoy the games, man. And of course, for Oregon, September 3rd, man, that, six weeks away. We are six weeks away. Oregon, Georgia, a so-called neutral site game. Yeah, not quite. September 3rd, 1230, uh, starts off the duck season. Um, I guess I just want to take a uh, – uh, we can't really get into a granular view. I mean, we we can sort of look at this game, but more in general, looking at their schedule, Eastern Washington, BYU, Washington State, Stanford, Arizona, UCLA, Cal, Colorado, Washington, Utah, and, of course, the Beavers to wrap things up. They, uh, they skip USC – uh, they skip. Who's the other team that they skipped this year? I'm I'm blanking on it. Colorado, but, maybe. I'll I'll go ahead and check on. They're that. playing Colorado November 5th. I think it might be. Uh, I think it's Arizona State. Just glancing at this yeah, really no quickly. Yeah, no ASU. No yeah. ASU. But what are we expecting from this program this year? I mean, we know Dan Lanning is a hell of a recruiter, and of course he had a great defense last year. Uh, it helps that you're recruiting to Georgia. It helps that you're. Uh, you're it's Kirby Smart and that defense. What are we expecting out of this team this year? Well, you talk about just the talent that they have, and I think when they get to Pac-12 play, it's going to be overwhelming to a lot of teams, but when you play a team like Georgia, when you play you know, even the Pac-12 title game, maybe, or in you know, a bigger-time bowl game, what's the quarterback situation going to be right? What's the situation be like? Is it Ty Thompson? Is it Bo Nix? Are they going to be good enough to elevate the Ducks to that top level to be you know, a team that makes it to the college football playoff, or are they a good 9-10 to win team because the quarterback play lets him down, kind of like last season uh, with Anthony Brown. They got to the Pac-12 title game. He got exposed against Utah and Utah to completely dominate him. So I think that's just where it's at. I think everyone else, everywhere else, they're going to be more talented than all the teams they play, except for Georgia. But it's just the quarterback play. What what are we going to get from those type of quarterbacks in the Ducks system? That's that's why I like the the addition of Bo Nix. Like obviously Bo Nix is not who everyone thought he was going to be when he first you know jumped to Auburn. He had some nice moments. He's Fine, but we all understand he's a placeholder. I, I expect Bo Nix to be starting this season. I don't think Ty Thompson's going to be the guy yet. I mean, there's just too many question marks there. And I'm not talking about his talent. Don't come at me and tell me that he's five-star and he's the – yeah, he is the future. The future is not the present. I don't think we're there yet. It wouldn't shock me to see him sort of take over the role. But I think if we're talking game one, I think Bo Nix is your guy who's uh, played these SEC teams, knows at least somewhat how to get it done, and can actually lead this group in game one. Yeah, Bo Nix is the guy for week one, without a doubt. Um, as the season goes on, if Bo Nix doesn't perform, it's it's a nice luxury to have uh, Jay Butterfield and Ty Thompson. You know, I don't think Jay Butterfield's name gets thrown around enough. He's Fair. also a very talented quarterback. He might not have that fifth star, but he was a four-star coming out of high school, too. Uh, I, I think this team, I'm going to define this season for right now as a not a rebuilding year, but a retooling year. Like, you have a new coach. You have a brand-new coaching staff. And in a lot of position groups, not all the position groups, but in a lot of them, you have a lot of young guys. You know, the running backs are brand new. The receivers are brand new. You're going to have a new quarterback this year. O-line is very veteran-led. Uh, D-line is going to be a little bit new, and the secondary is going to feature some new guys. I think that the departure, unfortunately, of the four or five guys that went to the NFL, your Verone McKinley's, your Mikhail Wright's, Devin Williams, those guys leaving the program, unfortunately, takes this team 
I, I think it, you lose a game or two because of that. You know, I, I'd say if the the team had those guys, you're looking at an 11-10 win season, and now I think you're looking at a 9 or 10 win season, uh, which is still great. But I, I, I think this team is very talented. I don't think there's enough experience there, especially, you know, including the coaching staff, in order for them to make a college football playoff push. I hope I'm wrong, and I think, you know, just playing BYU in Georgia in your first two of three weeks is going to be very tough for this young squad, and I think they're going to get a, they're going to be a lot better by the end of the year than they are at the beginning of the year. Yeah, my my big question is it's again the in game management. Uh, it was my question when uh, Dan Lanning was first announced as the hire. You go, okay, look, we already know this guy's a great recruiter. The reputation preceded him arriving in Eugene as a great recruiter. He's lived up to that and more so far like look it just is what it is but again that's not to you can't say mario cristobal wasn't a great recruiter he was as well but you would see just some real questionable play calling and i'm not going to say it is going to happen but it's not going to surprise me in the least if maybe there's a game or two where there's just a little bit of a questionable like huh yeah you went for two there oh man you ran the ball there and it cost them a win somewhere i at the beginning when the the hire was first announced I said eight to nine wins. I'm leaning more about nine, you know, because again, just just seeing uh, sort of the culture that he seems to be building in Eugene, man, Duck fans are ready for a coach that's actually going to be here for a while. And if Lanning's that guy, I think the future is very bright. I'm so excited to see what Dan Lanning can do with some of the tools that he has at his dispense mm-hmm. on the defensive mm-hmm. side of the ball. People tend to forget about Justin Flo. Of course, all eyes are on Noah Sewell this year. He's going to be a top 10 pick, extremely talented. Justin Flo's had bad injury luck at Oregon, but he's still one of the highest rated recruits that Oregon's ever gotten. And if you look at the guy, he is just, uh, he's absolutely chiseled. And uh, you can tell he is a NFL level linebacker. So I'm so excited. Those two guys, you know, you think of guys like Brandon Dorless, Jeffrey Bossa, Kristen Gonzalez. I could go on and on about some talent they have on the de- defensive side of the ball. I think uh, the defense with Dan Lanning coaching, it has extremely high upside. Yeah, and right now USC is the favorite of the Pac-12, followed by Utah and then Oregon. So Oregon third right now uh, with odds. But I think the real question for me is offensively, with Mario Cristobal, he wanted to be you know very methodical and run the football a lot, be physical. Is Dan Lanning going to be the same thing? A lot of Duck fans wanted the offense to be more aggressive, but with Lanning as a defensive guy, is he going to play – placate to the defense a little bit. Is he going to keep running the football or is they going to be a little more aggressive offensively, which the fans always kind of wanted? I think it could be the same type of thing. And Peter talked about just the coaching decisions. Crystal ball was a lot of emotion, right? Like a lot of his mistakes were based off emotion. Does it can Dan Lanning capture that emotion, keep it in and, you know, maybe open up the playbook a little bit, or is it going to be an sec style where they're methodical trying to be out physical? Everybody? I think Kenny Dillingham. Yeah. Uh, if you look at his track record, just looking at that, I think this is a team that's going to throw the ball down the field a lot more, and uh, amen for that. I hope so, man. I really hope so, because it was frustrating at times to to just the endless running of the ball. I mean, even going back to the Herbert years, obviously, just, even, just that Marcus Arroyo system was frustrating. But, like, C.J. Verdell, I'm glad he finally had his moment. You know, that huge breakaway run in that Ohio State win. That, I mean, obviously the high point of the season. But, like, C.J. Verdell... He climbed the rankings of, you know, all-time rushing yardage for the Ducks, but 
He's not that guy to me. It would just showed the dedication to the run is all that really showed me. It wasn't necessarily Verdell. And I mean, I mean, no disrespect to the guy, but it was just, man, we, we can't open things up a little bit. And historically it's been, well, what wide receivers are you getting in Eugene? That's historically been the problem, at least in, in my lifetime, in my adulthood. But the thing is, is you got some of those guys over the last couple of years and they're just, they're just running track, man. I mean, Sean, I'm sure you loved it. They were just running back and forth and yeah. not actually you know getting it so it's no surprise that Micah Pittman was like I'm good man it, it, it just wasn't a surprise at all I do want to see Dillingham open it up I think that the offensive playmakers on this team are more unproven this year because a lot of those guys mm-hmm. have left like Verdell but I think there's higher upside there you know I think you look at the running back position uh guys like Sean Dollars Byron Cardwell uh, Seven McGee is a guy that I expect to break out big this year. He, he and remember when he entered the portal for a yeah. couple hours, and then he spoke to Coach Lane and, Lane and came back. At, yeah, he went off at the spring game, and then you look at the receiver position: Troy Franklin, um, Dante Thornton. Uh, then uh, there's a couple other, couple other Isaiah Crocker is another mm-hmm. one of those guys. Um, so just you look at recruiting numbers, you look at what those guys have shown in practice, what they've shown in spring games. I think there's a lot higher upside for some explosiveness compared to some of the other of obviously the coaching staff's new, but also you look at some of the, uh, you know, the older skill group that they had. I think this group's better. They're just going to have to take a little bit of time, get that experience. Yeah. They've never lacked the talent on the outside, but again, I do think it's going to come down to the coaching staff. I can see where Dane Laning comes in and has the mindset of, we want to be like Georgia. We want to run the football and play defense. And it's going to work in the Pac-12 because a lot of the Pac-12 teams you know, are pretty soft. Let's just be real. Like That's yeah. just the, that's the mentality of the Pac-12 out here on the West Coast is you can be soft a little bit. So if Oregon comes in and is physical, maybe Dane Lanning keeps that strategy. I don't know. I hope that I'm with you guys. I want them to open it up a little bit because they have all this talent can they utilize it what i want to see more like again this year you called it a, a not a rebuild but a retool i agree with that i think there are going to be a few speed bumps nothing major you know it's not like it's going to be you know a five win team or something like that but i, I just i want to see him stay i want to see coach landing here in four years more than anything i don't want to say that i don't care what happens this year because i do I, I really do, but I know that Duck fans are just ready after sort of the turnover in that coaching spot over the last few years. They're ready for just someone to be here and truly have the time to build something because, I mean, <laughs> it's time, man. I mean, they've gone through th- three head coaches, four head coaches, and how many years now? How many years has it been? Oh, man, they've gone through. So in the last... <sighs> Since Chip Kelly, I mean, so Chip Kelly left in around 2011, 2012. Then it was Mark Elfrich. Then it was Willie Taggart. Then it was Mario yeah. Cristobal. Then it was Dan Lanning. And yeah. Oregon's too good for that. Like, exactly. Oregon is a top-tier college football program, a top 15, top 20, top 10, depending on who you ask. But every other team that is – or program that is compared to Oregon, you know, especially when you go to the south and you go around the country – all, almost all of those programs are pretty stable at the head coaching position, but Oregon, just for whatever reason, it feels like they've been getting played a little bit by some of these head coaches, and uh, hopefully hopefully Rob Mullins really, uh, really chimed down on that. That uh, had to factor into this hire. That had to be a had huge to part of the interview, right? Huge part of the interview when they hired Lanning. Well, I hate to bring up realignment, but maybe they aren't the top 10 mm-hmm. team like we think that they are because the Big Ten doesn't necessarily want them right now. They wanted USC and UCLA, and I know it's media markets is a big part of it, right. but 
maybe a lot of these coaches that want to go to the SEC or Big 12 look at Oregon as a jumping off point because they are so good and they are going to be at the top of the recruiting class. Just a thought. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's a great point. And that's one of those things because you, you go like, man, UCLA really? Well, first of all, we're all looking at this realignment within the, the framework of football. UCLA basketball is a whole Funny. different thing, not to mention the media market. So, I mean, Oregon is a national brand. They are. They are a national, massive brand. But you do wonder, are they a top 10 program? I don't know. I mean, we could argue it. I mean, maybe they are, but they're, they're not a top 75 or something like right. that. They're certainly higher than that. And they, they need that consistency. They deserve it. Look, I'm I'm not a Ducks fan. I'm not a Duck hater. I don't care. I want I want them to win every game. I want the Beavers to win every game. And I want a close game when they play each other. That's it. But the consistency is just what's been lacking. They need someone that's actually committed to staying and building the program and not jumping out when their dream job comes available. Hopefully, this spot is that dream job for Dan Lanning. Yeah, and let's just let's just throw this out here. We don't have to put it in pen, but in pencil right now, I'm just looking it up. 17 and a half point favorite Georgia against mm. the Ducks. What, what do we take it here? It's mm. a lot of points. Yeah, it's a lot of points. That's a lot of. Po- I'm going to take the Ducks to cover, man. The championship hangover is a real thing. Mm. You see it in all sports, even college sports. Yeah. I saw. It, it, Saw the Braves do it right now. They came out of the gate slow. They're crushing it now. Uh, I'm going to say, I mean, look, Georgia's going to win that game, but I think the Ducks cover that. Yeah, I mean, Gonzano's made some really, Gonzano seems to be pretty heavily in favor of, uh, you know, this game being close and not being a blowout. He's made some really good points. Like, Dan Lanning comes from Georgia, so he knows what they're about. And Bo Nix obviously has played Georgia. He knows what they're about. Uh, And then you think about the championship hangover, like, you think about maybe a program that wants this game less than Oregon. Like, this game means more to Oregon than it does to Georgia. You also think about how Georgia is in a similar spot as Oregon, and they just lost a ton of guys. They lost even more guys than Oregon did. They are retooling this year as well, maybe to a higher extent because of a higher talent level. Because, like, every had, defensive player got well, drafted, like, every the first one. couple of rounds. But it was still, all Georgia. I mean, obviously, they have so much talent on their roster, and they, they're just reloading. But they're still going to, like, it's going to be a lot of brand-new guys to the football field in that game between both sides. So maybe both teams are a little nervous, and it's lower scoring. So I do think there's a lot of reasons why you should take Oregon plus 17 and a half in that game. Yeah, I, I think right now I'm leaning a little Georgia, but I think it's just because of the uncertainty of Dan Laney. We don't know what he is as an X's and O's coach, as a head nope. coach, right? Nope. We know he is a great defensive coordinator, a great recruiter. I've never seen him on the big stage, and it's his first game as a head coach. I, I want to put my, you know, put my money and my faith in a guy like Kirby Smart who just won the national title. 503-417-7575 if you want to call your shot. Is Oregon going to cover this game? Or you can say, are they going to win this game? Also on Twitter, at Peter Sampson, S-A-M-P-S-O-N. I am in for John Canzano. More of the BFT ahead on the BFT Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano on the Bald Face Truth. He'll be back next week talking a little Oregon Ducks football. None of this was planned, man. 
Got me all fired up for college football. Talking Phil Steele. Just had to say the one word or the two words. Phil that's, Steele. That's it. I mean, I have to. I'm going to reach out to him. I got to get him on the show. I got fired up just talking about it. Then yeah. he ordered the magazine. I, I was looking online. I got to do it myself. Yeah. Yeah. Highly recommend. Don't forget to click down and select your uh, custom cover, man. Get that Northwest covers. I get why Boise State is in there. You got to appeal to the state of I- Idaho, but it's interesting. No Cougs, man. Do you, do you have to appeal to the state of Idaho? Huh? I don't know. It's a marketing decision. <laughs> Let's go out to the phone line. Larry is in Klamath Falls listening to 960 Sports. What's going on, Larry? Can, yeah, there he is. What's going on, Larry? Hey, stability and consistency. Yeah. The last time we had that, believe it or not, before Chip Kelly, we had a guy named Mike Bellotti from 1995 to 2008. And he went to several bowl games, including the Rose Bowl and the Fiesta Bowl, and he had a winning record. That's the last time we've had any sort of stability during that time 14 years um he was the winningest coach and we were the winningest team in the pac 12 yeah yeah that's a great point looking for stability appreciate the phone call larry in klamath falls i love klamath falls there used there was a burger joint down there i used to go to it's what we'd call the hundred dollar hamburger i had a, a friend of mine he was uh he was a pilot and this was he was still working on uh uh different ratings and certifications and he gave uh he gave flight lessons for a while out of the Hillsboro airport and uh it was fun because every once in a while we had a i had a friend uh that was going to oit down in klamath falls and getting a software engineering degree and every once in a while he'd have a student and uh they they would do uh a lot of times you go up in the air and you simulate like okay you turn the plane off uh okay your plane just died get it going again or you go you practice uh, it's called the missed approach where you practice landing the plane you do everything except actually land the plane you just approach the runway and then flap but every once in a while he would say hey i'm going to klamath falls this morning you want to come and I'm like, oh yeah we got to go get that hamburger so I, i've spent a good amount of time in a little like a uh, twin engine cessna just sitting in the back seat wearing the little headset just flying down there to uh to uh i, I wish i could remember the name of this place just flying to get a burg I mean, just flying to get a burger man yeah, yeah that's legit it was great it was so much fun it, it was weird it was weird in that, like, this is a, a very, very uh, good friend of mine. He was very, very good friend back in high school. And it's kind of interesting to see someone that you've seen, like, so wasted that he can't even stand up. Like, just passed out in the yard. And now he's flying in an airplane. Frightened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's just like, really? They let you be in charge of this? But he did. I mean, it was, you know... He he talks like a normal guy, but you'd put that headset on and be like, "Yeah, this is Cessna four nine or to the blue." <laughs> like it was so wild, but it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I can't tell you how cool it is to have a buddy who's a pilot, man, and especially because uh, you have your your VFR, your visual flight rate. It's the first one you get. Basically, if it's a beautiful day like today, you can fly. And then you get your instrument rating, where it's like, "Oh, you have no visibility. You are still allowed to fly." And I remember once. This is twenty years ago. We went to, uh, uh, we had tickets to, oh man, who are we going to go see? It was something like, oh, uh, we, we were going to see Green Day in Salem. It was Green Day. And uh, it was an early show because, you know, all the kiddies had to be able to go and be home in time for school the next day. It was like a seven o'clock start at the Salem Armory, right? And uh, I go, man, we're going to have to get on. You know, we lived on the west side, west side suburbs, like Hillsboro, Beaverton area. I was like, man, we're going to have to get on 217 at 5 o'clock, and then we're going to hit I-5 at 6 o'clock going south. This is going to be a nightmare. And he's just like, you got 25 bucks? Yeah. And he's like, all right. 
because we had a buddy going with us. We just ship in our 25 bucks. We just rent a plane and <laughs> we just go to the Hillsborough Airport and just fly. And there is nothing better than looking down at the brutal rush hour traffic that you would have been in. You fly over. We get to Salem in like 25 minutes, land at the airport. We just take a courtesy van over to the armory, enjoy the show. Fly back, man. It was those were the That's days. So cool. You talk about like your friend. You've seen him in such weird spots, and then he's like such a professional. I can only imagine it's gonna be even weirder with kids, right? Like growing up, yeah. raising my kids, and then seeing them actually, you know, execute a job or like maybe be doing something serious with their life. Like it's gotta be weird, man. Just like you know what, I, I changed you and. You, you really bothered me, and I've seen you do some weird things. But now, you know, you're a professional. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see. Even, I mean, you know, my son's eight. I know one of your kids is seven, seven I believe. Yeah. And already now, like, obviously, he's not working a job yet. I'm not going to make him get a job till he's nine. Yeah. But all, money in. even just watching him, like, he's a really gifted musician. And so much of that is just support. If you support your kids in something, the, the way they learn is just, man, I wasted my ability to learn as a child because seeing how they can do it, you go, man, it's unbelievable. But watching him like sit down at the piano and play this like beautiful, somber piece of music, like I can't believe you could do that. You're a little like I was just changing your diapers. Or at least it feels like I was. I know it's been years, but like even just like three days ago, you were throwing me a bunch of nonsense because you didn't want to eat green beans. And now you're playing like Tchaikovsky. It's unbelievable. So yeah, as he gets older and like gets a job and not even that first job man it's when he gets like a job with some decision making yeah. like a power and like maybe some authority like he's making a marketing decision like oh i've seen that commercial like you, you make you're, ma- you're making a decision in the world like you're changing the world a little bit mm. and you're my son that i'm not right. ready for that no i'm not ready for it I'm man out on that. i want to keep i always you know i'm one of those guys like I don't want to keep them young forever. You know what I mean? How some people, oh, my baby's growing up. Like, I I miss the really young age. If you're a parent, you can totally relate to this. I miss the young age, but I I like the young man that he's turning into so much. So while I do miss the past, I'm looking forward to every day. But I'll tell you, I was in Grand Rapids, Michigan uh, last week. It was a good time. Great time. Except for the humidity. It's, It's like... 85 degrees and 75, 80%. It wasn't quite uh, the Southeast humidity, I hear. I've never been to the Southeast, but it was oppressive, dude. Yeah, I've been in Orlando, and it was 95 degrees and just pouring rain on me. It was the worst thing I've ever been Yeah, I'm good. No, thank you. But uh, uh, we were staying with Kim's uh, uh, sister and her husband, and they have a four-year-old. And she's cool. She's cool. It's funny. Everyone, you know, oh, she's spicy. She's got attitude. And I'm like, man, that's just four-year-olds, you know. But I'll be honest. Like, she's a good kid. But by the end of that week, I was like, yeah, I don't miss this. I do not miss this at all. I lucked out. My kid's pretty reasonable. But even then, at that age, you you can't reason with an unreasonable person, man. You just can't do it. Yeah, we think that, like, some of these adults we watch on these debate shows, like, they can't be change their mind. Kids have the ultimate power of not being able to change their mind. Oh, yeah. If they got something in their mind, they will never change, no matter what you say. Or they'll just change it arbitrarily, and it's like, oh, really? That's the case now. Well, what drove that? Mm, I just feel that way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm jealous. I, I, I wish I could live my life that way, frankly. It's like I have to offer my kid, like, 10 bucks to take his dish to the sink. He's like, nah, not worth it. Ten bucks. Oh yeah, I got. You know, just exaggerated, but yeah, no. I mean, like he could be like, no, I'm good. I don't want it. I'm glad to know that dishes to the sink is not just a my household issue. We've done it's dishes to the dishwasher, and the thing is, this is my fault. No, 
No, I'm going to throw Kim into this, too. This is her fault, too. Right. But <laughs> so he's terrible at it because he's a kid, right? Like, he just he leaves it at the table and, you know, he does a great job. He'll eat pretty much anything except green beans and, and whatever. And then so he'll go and, uh, you know, go jump on the iPad or play music or whatever it is. Uh, you uh, you forgot something at the table. And the thing is, is it was a constant question. Is the dishwasher clean or dirty? Is it clean or dirty? And for some reason, he can't tell. If you open it up and you see dirty dishes, like, you would be able to see immediately. Like, oh, these are clean. There's, these are sparkling dishes. I'm not going to put a dirty dish in there. He is completely blind to that. He's got that, like, you know how some dudes are just blind to a dirty house? If there's any women listening right now, not you know what I'm talking about. We're just blind to it. We just cannot see that the floor needs mopped. And we cannot see that the counter's cluttered. It's just the way it is. It's not malicious, ladies, I assure you. But he's got that. That's going to be him growing up. And so we said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We've got this magnet. And it's not a magnet that says clean or dirty. It's a, it's a donut. It's literally like a fake donut on a magnet. And we said, okay. If the donut is on the dishwasher, it's dirty. Okay, that works. That lasted about three days. And it's not him. It's us. We keep forgetting to put the donut on or we keep forgetting to take the donut off. And he is filled with self-righteous rage when he opens it up and he's like, these are clean. Oh, yeah, yeah those are clean. Those are clean. Dad, the donut is on this. You know, I just forgot to take it off. Way to go, Dad. And he'll just <sighs> and walk over to the fridge and stick it on there and look at me and just roll his eyes. And I'm like, I'm doing the best I can, bro. How We're, dare you? I am a human being just like you are, and we are all just trying to make our way through this day. Yeah, and it's like it's nothing malicious. And then the kids hate you for it for like you know, like you said, ten minutes. There's like I can't even believe you would do this. I st- what is on your plate that would make you forget to put the donut on there, Dad? You're right about the long memory, man. He is eight and a half years old, and I still, still hear about a time that I ate his hummus when he was three. You want to know the kicker? He hates hummus. He does not like it. Hey, do you want some of this? Oh, oh, no, no. Okay, put him to bed. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna kill this hummus. Man, yeah. There might have even been some baba ganoush in there too. Yeah. It was solid, so I ate it. He comes down the next day. Dad, where's the hummus? Oh, I ate that. And he like did the thing where he dropped on the floor like he'd been shot. Yeah. Just ah, how could you? You said you didn't like it. Five years later, five. I've moved twice since then, and he's still. Remember that time you ate my hummus? Don't do that. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. Maybe put a donut magnet on the hummus if you want it. I did that to my youngest pizza. He was done. He put it on the counter. I said, are you done with this? Yeah, I'm done. I ate it, you know, 10 minutes later. Then he starts crying, dad ate my pizza. You said you were done and you put it here. What am I supposed to do? Not eat it? Waste money? What I've done is I've just, I've made sure to institute the idea of the dad tax. He understands that there's a dad tax. Dad is cool. Dad lets you within reason in the realm of being a good person as you grow up. Let's him do pretty much what he wants to do. As long as, like, hey, there's stuff we have to do and there's stuff that we want to do. Do the stuff you have to do. Do the stuff that you want to do. But on top of that, there is a dad tax, and it is unfair, and it is, uh, it is, it comes and it goes, and when it hits, you'll know, and there's nothing you can do about it. I recommend you do the same to your kids.
Welcome back to the program. Peter Sampson in for Canzano. It's the BFT. It'll be All-Star Game tomorrow. I don't usually watch the All-Star Game. I'm going to keep my eye on it, though. Fun twist. Jeff Passan tweeted out. If the All-Star Game is tied after nine innings, there will be a home run derby to determine the winner. AL participants, hey, Ty France, Julio Rodriguez, and Kyle Tucker. NL, Pete Alonzo, Ronald Acuna Jr., that's my guy, and Kyle Schwarber. I love the idea of this. Really quickly, I mean, look, the All-Star Game, it's lost its luster. It's lost like three quarters of the viewership going back to the 70s or early 80s. They need to find a way to draw in viewers, but they can't make it too gimmicky. Really quickly, what do you think about this? No, I think it's a great idea. And is it weird that I'm really rooting for a tie? No, I am too. Like, I don't don't care if anybody wins. I I wanted to tie, go to the Home Run Derby. That would be pretty sweet. Uh, Just see how that would finish out. And and people love the Home Run Derby. So incorporate that. You get the best of the best. let, let me ask you guys a question. Do you guys feel like the best of the best are in the home run derby this year? Or do you feel like there's some missing parts? I mean, I like it for the most part. I mean, Pete Alonso's won it the last couple years. Yeah, he's he's in it again, and he's he's my favorite again. Ronald Acuna Jr. is in it. I mean, all the all the main people are in there. There's no one that's like a glaring omission to me. No, and I mean, I understand why they put Pujols in there. I mean, that's kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, not really yeah. for me, but whatever. I would have rather had another young star like Julio Rodriguez. Like, if you're the Major League Baseball and you're trying to push the game forward, like get another young star in there in the home run derby. You talked about track, how they're messing up, not letting Devin Allen compete. Get yeah. another Julio Rodriguez in there. Get another rookie. Let him go. But, yeah. they, but you know, old 42-year-old. Pools. Yeah, that, and that's the challenge with Major League Baseball is young people don't care. So what do you do? Do you appeal to the older demographic that still cares very much, or do you try to bring in those younger viewers? I mean, Major League Baseball still has so much work to do when it comes to getting their stars, even recognizable. I'll never forget, really quickly, uh, Q scores, the like marketing uh, identification, like their levels. Uh, Mike Trout, best player since Mickey Mantle, has a Q score that's the same of Kenneth for Reed. Kenneth for Reed. Think about that. Our number three coming up next. They say 2000. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, in for John Canzano, here's Peter Sampson with the bald faced truth. Final hour of the BFT. If you're in Portland, you get me for another hour after that as I host my program, The Pulse. You can always grab a podcast of that show if you do not live in the Portland area. Just search for The Pulse with Peter Sampson wherever you get a podcast. We deliver that commercial free to you within the hour. Within the hour of the show ending, we give that to you. We're proud of it. Enjoy it. It's pretty high energy. Moves fast. And uh, it's a great, great program. We talked about it off the top of the show. Trailblazers won the Summer League title. Joe Cronin out doing some press. He was on with uh, Jim Rome today. And I'm not surprised that after winning Summer League, after uh, making a few moves, definitely improving the roster. We don't know to what degree he's improved the roster. It's certainly better than it was last year because can't get any worse than it was at the end of last season, can it? I mean, I guess I shouldn't say that. Maybe it can but, man, that was a rough, rough season. I don't know if you went to uh, Moda Center at all, but uh, if you were at one of those games in, say, uh, April, the first week of April, maybe mid-March, oh, boy, it was uh, it was not uh, super entertaining. It was the emptiest I'd seen Moda Center since the peak of the Jailblazer era, truly. 
which, uh, you know, if you remember back in those days, say 2004, when you could just buy a 300-level ticket, it would be you and maybe five other dudes in that section, and you could just waltz on down to the 100 level. Technically, you still can. You just got to be kind of uh, clever about it. Maybe dress nice, act like you know where you're going, and uh, you can sneak into those those better show, or better sections. But Joe Cronin uh, spoke with Jim Rome today, coming off of uh, Jeremy Grant, Gary Payton the second, and of course Damian Lillard's extension. Here's what he had to say about extending Dame. It was uh, an extremely happy day for us, you know, adding some more years onto Damian's contract, taking us, you know, another step closer to him retiring as a Trailblazer was. You know, a really cool moment for the organization, for myself, for him, for Coach Billups. It was just a, a great day, just knowing Damian's going to be here that much longer. Yeah, and to me, that's a no-brainer. It's old news. We don't need to rehash it, but uh, it, that's. I'm not surprised that they got this done. I'm not surprised that they got it done quickly. I'm also not surprised that it didn't happen until after the, uh, the uh, GP2 and Jeremy Grant acquisitions and by the way and i don't have audio of this because i didn't have time to make it safe for radio but <laughs> Stephen vaughn's laughing yeah, i think he already knows what i'm gonna what i'm gonna talk about here but uh trendon wofford and uh dave on uh on uh, instagram live he had his uh summer league finals mvp trophy he holds it up Man, and Dave is like in Cabo celebrating his birthday. I don't know if he's actually in Cabo, but he's poolside. And two things stood out to me. I can't play it because because uh, there, there's a, a couple curse words and it's nothing nothing that honestly anyone would actually get offended at except for the FCC. So I can't do it. But uh, Dave, he wasn't watching the game. He didn't know. He was like, oh. Bleep, you guys won? You won it? And I don't blame the guy for not watching because he's sitting poolside. But the two things I really took away from that is his wife was there. And uh, she had had a couple drinks. Nothing bad happened. I'm not talking junk because, frankly, uh, I had a couple drinks multiple times uh, over the last week. That was on the Internet, too. That was on the Internet. If you go to my Twitter, man, there's me sitting in a floaty in a pool. Got my... uh, my high noon uh, pineapple hard seltzer in hand, and I can assure you that that was one of about seven of those bad boys sitting out in the sun. It was beautiful, man. I'd been to this house. Quick digression. Uh, I went last winter as well, and they had just purchased the house, and it's on about an acre and a half, and it's it's quote unquote Grand Rapids, but it's a few miles out. It's it's this little tiny township, uh, like called Caledonia, and uh. Man, and it's like, oh, cool, you bought this house, great. Man, I come back seven, eight months later, and, man, they have an in-ground pool and a hot tub, and it's on, like, a, a lazy river, the Thornapple River, on their property. You can go out on the dock and just enjoy the river. It's unbelievable the amount of work they've done. And I said, man, I'm going to be in that pool every single day that I can. And uh, we had things to do. There were certainly anytime you go on vacation, it's a it's a it's a balance between just relaxing, enjoying, decompressing, but also you, you have stuff to do. You got people to see, you got to see family, you got to see friends, uh, in various things like that. But there were a couple of days where I did nothing except get in the water and uh, enjoy a hard seltzer or an IPA. So I don't blame her. It was just so funny because she comes into the shot just for a minute and says something, and Dave's just like, "Ooh, I can't have you on here" because she was feeling it. Also. Anthony Simons was hanging out there too, and he looks jacked. Is it just me or has he put on some muscle? 
He definitely looks a little bigger. Like, he's definitely growing into his body because he is only, what, 23 years old, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so he's going to get bigger. But, yeah, I mean, that, it did notice. I did notice the dame said, you know, to his wife, said, you know, I can't have you on here right now. You need to back off a little bit. But, I mean, and understandably, like you said, Dame yeah. could not have cared less about the Summer League. <laughs> like, it, it was cool that he was there. He was in Summer League. He had the interview uh, with Cassidy, Hub- Cassidy Hubbard. Yeah. After that, you know, he's, he's like, I'm done with Summer League. I, I don't care at it's all. It's his birthday. You know, he's chilling. I'm in Cabo, yeah. How important it is, or how important do you guys think it is that Anthony Simons does put on that weight? Do you guys think that's uh, that's it? Was that something that was on your mind before you saw this Instagram live? I, I think, I think, you know, I'm happy that he's uh, if he's putting on muscle. I think that could be a huge help for someone like him. Yeah, I mean, it's good. It, it can maybe help with some resilience, but it's not like he's banging down in the low post and trying to body dudes down. So I think it'll help with injury prevention. Maybe it'll help with uh, you know maintaining your body over the course of a season. You put on you you put on as much muscle as you can to get your body right in the off season because a lot of these guys, man, they just lose weight over the course of a season. They're expending so much energy. It's hard to to keep your body built over the course of a regular season but I think the nature of his game the fact that he's he's a he's a perimeter guy like I'm certainly not opposed to it I think it's a good thing I don't know that it's necessarily a game changer but I mean maybe it could help certain aspects of his game but to me it's that stamina it's that fatigue it's being able to fight through things yeah I think it's more like you said it's he's gonna be the number two option on the Blazers right and he only started 30 games a season ago it's not like he played a full season as being the top guy. Yeah. The Blazers are going to need him to get 20 a night at least. I, I think offensive options wise, this team's going to be, it's going to be like one, how do I say this? One B, one C, one D. So like Dame's one A. And then I think there's going to be three guys. I think Grant, Nurkic, and Simons, those yeah. three, I, I think on a given night, you know, will be the number two. Those guys will differ. And that's what they need. I mean, again, we talk about that they need another star, and they do. But aside from that, this team was so depleted, they also need those guys that can just average 13 points a game. Every team needs that balance, even if it's a star-heavy team. They didn't really have that, especially once, you know, Nurk and Simons got sat. Uh, but, yeah, I could, I totally see that. Like, Dame and Simons especially are the guys. They're going to need to deliver night in and night out. But they're also going to need... I mean, Nurk's going to have his nights. We've all seen it where he goes crazy and he gives you 26 and 13 and or he'll, you know, give you something like that. But if he can get those consistent just 16 and 10 night in, night out, because, look, there's there's two different ways that you can average 15 points a game. And, uh, you know, one is <laughs> giving you 25 one night and five the next. And then the other is just giving you 15 every night. And they need that consistency from Grant and Nurk, even if they're not giving you 20, 22. But if they're just consistently in the teens, just we can count on these guys to get a couple buckets when we need to settle things down. They, they need that. I think it's going to be important for Nurk this year to get that field goal percentage up. He's he's barely been around 50% his whole career. I mean, he's got to get that up to 55% this year. And with the options the Blazers have, Jeremy Grant, Anthony Simons, Damian Lillard, the pressure's off of him. Like, he's going to get a lot yeah. of one-on-one matchups, whether it's a driving kick to Nurk. He doesn't have to shoot that jumper anymore. It's going to be a lot of inside. Can he use that strength and size to finish inside? Because the Blazers need that inside finisher this year. But also to go along with the video that we were talking about, you know, we it was always the big thing in Portland, like, the culture is great. All these guys are friends. Dame and CJ are great friends off the court. It was good to see Anthony Simons and Dame yeah. hanging out, right? Like they're vacationing better together. Tried to get that relationship. Tried to get the chemistry up a little bit. So you know, it, it actually the video actually was kind of cool 
hopefully that does translate onto the court. Yeah, I mean, that's so important. And Dame's done that. If you remember when LaMarcus Aldridge, when he flew home in that Memphis series by himself, you know, separate from the team, and then he pieced out the very next year, Damian Lillard got everyone together. He took everyone to San Diego before preseason. He just said, we're just going to hang out and bond. It's just a team trip. I'm paying for it. We're good. We're just going to buy. And he did that for a couple years. I don't think he's doing it anymore. But he does understand. And look, chemistry, it's not the most important thing. Talent wins out usually, not always. But it it helps. It does matter. I think, how can I put this? I think it's overrated, but it still matters a lot. Well, it's like you said, the Blazers need another star. But if you're lacking that star and you have the culture and you have the there chemistry, that's when it can elevate you to maybe get to a Western Conference Finals. It's probably not get you to the finals, but it gets you that little farther around let, the place. Let me pose this question, yeah. especially for you, Peter, because Stephen and I talked about this last week. Is this the roster the Blazers are going into opening night, these 15? Because mm. who's the backup center? Yeah, that's the real question. Uh, I'm going to say yes, but it's not the roster that they close. It's not the roster in March. Right. Like, I, I, there's another move to be made. You know it. They know it. I know it. I. There's a chance that something shakes out in August because, again, I've said it over and over. Someone always shakes out, man. It just it might not happen until we get closer to the trade deadline. Everyone's waiting on KD. Everyone's waiting on Donovan Mitchell. But there's going to be another domino to fall. It just might not be until, uh, say, after December when, like, half these guys that just signed deals are eligible to be, to be traded again. Yeah, and it's that question, and it's also the question of who's going to be the starting three this season because I think – I kind of assume it's going to be Josh Hart to start. That's my assumption. But now, you know, I was talking to some people, and, you know, we were talking about it. If they do that, the bench is going to be really short on offensive playmakers. Mm -hmm. It's going to be GP2, Nas Little, uh, and Shaden Sharp probably, or Keon Johnson. There's going to be a lot of pressure on those guys. Trent Watford as well. But a lot of pressure on Keon Johnson and Shaden Sharp to really be the offensive punch off the bench. Could you maybe see where Josh Hart comes off the bench and they start a Justice Winslow as a defensive guy to say, Go play defense for you know five minutes, yeah. and then we're going to bring Hart into the game. I, I could see that. I, frankly, I like it. I think it's going to be Josh Hart starting, but I like the idea of either a Winslow or even a Nos Little. Those guys can sort of interchange. I know he's more of a four than a three, but, I mean, hell, they had him guarding twos for a decent well, game stretch yeah. last year. So if you have him and Jeremy Grant just sort of as interchangeable wings there, Winslow or Nos with him, I, I, you're right, Josh Hart. God, he plays so well coming off the bench. He gives you that scoring firepower, a little bit of facilitate. He just does everything well. <laughs> he was awesome when he came to Portland right away. Like his offense was Instantly. way better than it ever had been, right? Yeah. And so if he could do that again, I think that could be a real big help. And the only reason I said Winslow over Nas is because Cronin has kind of said, like, Nas isn't quite ready yet to be a starter mm. in the NBA. And he said that numerous times. He hasn't been shy about it. So just the fact that I think he said that, it just leads me to say, you know, maybe Chauncey wants that vet and Winslow to start. But, you know, I could see Dodds as well. Yeah, I uh, I can't help but wonder when it comes to thinking about whether this roster is done and this is the 15 that they're going in. It feels like there are going to be some crumbs from the Donovan Mitchell thing, from the Kevin Durant thing. For example, I feel like the Jazz have so many pieces on their team. Not so many, but they have some pieces on their team where if they're really looking to get rid of some of the pieces that they maybe picked up in that Minnesota deal, Jared Vanderbilt would start at the four at this oh, yeah. on this roster, right? Like, they would move Jeremy Grant to the three. Jared Vanderbilt would start at the four. Ben Simmons, you've talked about him. We've drooled over Ben Simmons on the pulse. I feel like he could be a domino in a Kevin Durant deal. So I can't help but wonder. Uh, I don't really know who Portland would move, though. It's Josh Hart. 
you know, Eric Bledsoe's gone, and it feels like a lot of the other pieces on this roster are here to stay, and like binding contracts wise, like they they cannot get moved. Uh, so I just uh, I wonder who they could even move if uh, if there was another move. Yeah. Out there. The other guy would be, and you talked about him, Keon Johnson. He played mm-hmm. well in summer league. Mm-hmm. If a team looked at him and said, you know what, he's only 20 years yeah. old, he did have the highest vert at the combine. He's a super good athlete. We could see something. I don't know how much value he has, but maybe there is one team out there that says we really do value this guy, and he could be something we could build around. It's it's possible. The the way I look at it is is now at this point being up against the hard cap, you have the fifteen roster spots. Guys, a, a lot of these guys can't be traded until December. I think the Blazers are hoping that some of these residual pieces maybe we go into the season before a deal is made because man, just they don't really have much flexibility until the uh, December when they can start to trade some of these contracts. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's and like Sean said, once the Durant thing, once the Donovan Mitchell thing, once that goes away and is figured out, that's when the other pieces are going to come forward. Maybe the Jazz want to trade more pieces. Can the Blazers get on that, or is it the Brooklyn Nets? If they're really going to get rid of some pieces, they got some guys as well that they could trade away as well. So theorizing, I'm going to sound. I hope I don't sound stupid here, but theorizing the starting lineup. Let's say Jeremy Grant ends up at the three, and they decide to start Grant at the three, not the four. Is there any chance that the Summer League Championship MVP, Trenton Watford, could be a, a guy that they look at at the four spot to maybe play that, you know, he's another big guy, he's oh, a man. defensive-minded guy, or am I sounding completely dumb right now? I mean, Blazers Twitter would love it, but, <laughs> but I mean, it's it's possible. I don't know that Trenton Watford, and again, he's a guy, honestly, I'm high on. I'm just realistic about it. I don't know technically that would be playing Grant out of position. He can do it. He can do it, but technically he'd be out of position. And I think you would do that for the right guy that came in at the four, but I think you're much more likely to look for a three and play him in position. I think you're more likely to do that at the end of the game, right? Depending on the matchup you're playing, the team that you're playing, if they're going bigger, maybe you can go Grant, Watford, Nurk, and they match up well. I think that's a good point. I'm just thinking your starters don't always have to be your best players, but they have to be. A, it has to be a group that makes a lot of sense, right. and that the skills of other players bode well with the other guys that they're playing with. So that's kind of a reason why I am an advocate for Anthony Simons coming off the bench this year and Gary Payton the second earning that starting job because I feel like Dame's skills would complement. We just saw it with Gary Payton the second and Steph Curry. Dame's skills would complement very well with Gary Payton's mm-hmm. ability to defend and guard the other team's best guard. And I, uh, so that's why I kind of think of Watford for the same thing. That's a guy that can go do a lot of the dirty work for this team. He can go grab rebounds. He can probably, he could be a slasher. He could, he could defend the other team's four, you know, uh, that might not be no, Nurkic's skill. So I'm just curious uh, how they're going to be able to, you know, put all the pieces together and, uh, you know, kind of mash the different skills that each each guy has. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, uh, you're not alone in advocating for Simons to uh, to come off the bench. He's not going to come off the bench. Four years, a hundred million. He's going he's going to start. But it, it, look, it makes a lot of sense because you're absolutely right on the money. Where it's about blending skill sets right. together. And man, if you have someone like GP two that can take that pressure off of Damian Lillard, so he can just save his energy for scoring. I mean, it makes a big difference. But I mean, Simons is going to be that guy. I, if I'm really predicting something, I think that we're going to go into the season. We're going to get through December when all of a sudden a lot of contracts can be moved. And I think Josh Hart is going to start the season as the starting three. I don't think he's going to be on the team after the trade deadline. 
Yeah, I think that's a good, you know, it's a good prediction because he's a guy that is good. Like he's a good player that you every can see. contender wants that yeah, guy. You can see that guy play in the playoffs and be successful. We see who is successful in the playoffs, and as we talked about, it's a different game for the regular season of the playoffs. Josh Hart's the type of guy that can fit in any type of game and be successful. Yeah, and I mean, I love his game. I initially, when they first acquired him, I was like, oh, sweet. That guy's going to turn into a first-round pick here within a week yeah, or two. Yeah. Like, and then we saw him play, and I went, oh, man, it's just too bad. And I know he can play the three, but you're back into the Norman Powell situation again. I mean, he's a two. We have our two. It's Anthony Simons. And you can say, look, he's undersized, and he doesn't play defense. All those things are true. But, I mean, the, the sky's the limit offensively. I mean, you had to lock him up. I'm excited for his future. Josh Hart, I think, is just the odd man out. He's going to get time. He's going to play pretty well here, but he has so much value on the trade market because whether it's a team trying to blow it up and they go, oh, well, he's only making $12 million and then he expires, we can get him off the books. But every single playoff team, look at every team in the playoffs, and, man, they could use a Josh Hart. You know, a lot of these teams, like uh, a, a, a guy like Yusuf Nurkic, we love Yusuf Nurkic, and I'm happy he's here and he's going to have a great year, but not every team needs a Yusuf Nurkic. Not every team needs a seven-footer that plays in a traditional style, even if they do give you 15 and 10. Like, you look at the numbers and you go, well, that's great, but not every team needs that. Every team has room for a Josh Hart somewhere, whether he's starting, whether he's your sixth man, whether he's your seventh man. He's good in the locker room. He's good on the court. He can score. He can facilitate. He understands the game. He's a cool guy. All that stuff matters. So I think he's here in the very short term, but ultimately I think he's the best asset to just get a better fitting piece. That doesn't mean I want to get rid of Josh Hart. I really like Josh Hart, but uh, I, I predict that he's going to be the guy that's moved for whoever the, the magical three ends up being. And maybe he needs to leave with some other pieces and you get a big time wing, or he just moves out for a better fit that's comparable skill. 503-417-7575. I'm way over, but I'm not going to make this guy wait. I never make this guy wait. Let's go to James in Portland. James, what's up, brother? Oh, I thank you. I want to talk to Samson, boys. I love this GM Blazers chat, my man. I love it. And thank you. I, I, you got to start Simons, dude. you got to let him fail. I mean, the guy's got such potential. you got to release the hounds on him, man. you got to – it's time. And he's got 100 mil in his back pocket. Make him actually work for his money. And then I, I love to Nurk. Like finally, Nurk can get a little relief, maybe down low, as long as he doesn't break his leg or break a finger or break something. Right? I mean, if that guy can just stay healthy, uh, he's a huge part of this team. And him and Dame feed off each other on that. When you know, when Dame's not shooting the fifty-five footer, when he's driving to the lane, Nurk's going to be open, dude. And, and I love the acquisition of Grant. You got to keep him down low, though. And Samson, I think it was you I, or someone else just mentioned. I love Hart, but I, I mean, I think he's trade bait as well, too. But I am a firm believer that we start Simon's ASAP. Again, let him fail. The guy can shoot, he can score. And if he can play some defense, he can actually stay on the court. And you're doing a hell of a job, Samson, like always, filling in for Johnny. Come on! My man, James in Portland, appreciate the phone call. Yeah, I, I agree with basically all that, too. And Yusuf Nurkic, real quick, I know I'm way late, but yeah, Nurkic is the guy to me that that I'm really going to be watching because in uh, the, it was like 24, 25 game stretch before they sat him down with the 
<clears throat> Plantar Fasciitis. Uh, he was playing some of the best basketball of his career. He was playing the best he had since uh, that stretch before he broke his leg. He was finally beasting again, man. Not that little flip shot. Not getting frustrated and getting letting other players get in his head and getting taken out of the game, man. He was starting to dominate again, and he needs to play at that level. To me, he's sort of the key to this team. I know that sometimes he's going to get played off the the court just because everyone's going to go small. It's not his fault. It's just the nature of modern NBA basketball. But if he can maintain that run, and I'm talking a 16 and a 10 guy, well, since Jeremy Grant's such a terrible rebounder, I'll say 16 and 11 and a half guy. By the way, if you can bet over-unders on Nurkic's rebounds, take the over this year. Uh, he's going to feast this year. I'm telling you, he's locked in. He's ready to go. It's time to see some consistency, and I think we're going to see it. We'll go away, come back. A little more Blazers talk on the other side. I do want to take a little bit of UCLA. John Canzano had an interesting column today uh, at johnconzano.com talking about UCLA situation in the whole realignment mess here. I'll share that with you as well. Samson in for Canzano. It's the BFT. Bald Face Truth, Samson Infraconzano, rolling with you on your beautiful Monday in the Pacific Northwest. Home run derby underway, as if there was any doubt. Mariners clearly have a superstar in Julio Rodriguez. 32, I think is what the TV said there. 32 jacks for Julio. That's unbelievable. Man, and some of those, Stephen, were not... Those weren't barely clear in the wall either. No, those were uh, rocket shots. He 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 was swinging hard on those ones. Man, Julio is awesome. Man, he's uh, pretty much guaranteed to win the Rookie of the Year unless he basically gets hurt for the entire season. Like he is a legitimate star. He might get it anyway. We talk about stars for the Blazers. The Mariners have themselves a star in Julio Rodriguez. Yeah, and again, it's up to Major League Baseball to to capitalize on this. Again, just this is years old at this point, and I already mentioned it once today. Just the fact that. 80 percent of sports fans could have Mike Trout walk past them and not know who he is and just be like, "Oh, that's a tall, athletic guy." Not know that that's like the best baseball player since Willie Mays and Mickey Mantle is an absolute failure on the part of the entire league. And I understand that teams are responsible for that too. But man, he plays in L.A. It's not like he's playing in a small market. Yeah, he's not in Kansas City, man. But even then, I know who George Brett is. I could identify him. So what happened? Major League Baseball, get it together. It's unbelievable. So again, you have this whole You have Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Manny Machado, Fernando Tatis, Ronald Acuna, and Ozzy Albies, and Julio Rodriguez. Got to market these guys. You have to. Got to get better. Larry's in on Twitter. He says, please, baseball, don't appeal to older folks. We're good. Attach your league to all the young folks. Yeah, stop please. putting Albert Pujols in the home run derby. Stop. I mean, I know Clayton Kershaw's having a good year, but let's see the Alcantara start the All-Star. Yeah. He has been awesome. Like, let these young guys get a chance, see what they can do. Yeah, there's so many. We've talked about all the great young hitters. There's a lot of great young pitchers, too, man. The Braves have a couple of them. I know Max Fried made it. Uh, they have a Spencer Strider, that crazy rookie, man. He is good. Baseball's in a good spot when it comes to the game itself. It's just all the stuff surrounding it. it, it you know, if, you, if you're like, man, baseball's boring. 
Like, well, yeah, it is. It's a, it's a whole different viewing experience than, say, an NFL game or especially an NBA game. I'm telling you, wait till next season when the pitch clock is instituted and the shift has been outlawed, and then just throw a game on and just see how it strikes you. Just see how it strikes you. Because, man, the uh, the baseball, it's not as juiced as it was. Baseball needed to fix that, man. I Everyone went crazy 20, what, four years ago now with McGuire and Sosa and then Bonds. They're like, oh, people like home runs. Let's just turn this into it. Let's just fill the ball with helium and see what happens. Yeah, it was a really bad idea, and it got boring. I don't want to watch a 14-10 to 10 baseball game, and it's nothing but strikeouts and solo home runs. It's, it's borderline unwatchable. The game... It has been better. It was better last year. It's even better this year. And next year, I expect it to be out of sight, man. The the minor leagues have instituted the pitch clock. Hillsborough Hops games take like two hours and ten minutes. They've had a couple under two hours. I don't want them to get too fast because I don't have time to drink enough beer. But, man, getting out to the ballpark or even just watching on TV. And I love how uh, I'm an MLB TV subscriber, and I love how it integrates. I can have the game on the TV. And, man, during the summer, I'm grilling four, five, maybe even six days a week some weeks. And I can be watching the game. It's like three three innings in. I go, oh, okay, I should go fire up that grill. I pop my headphones on, pop my beats on. I immediately pull up the radio broadcast of the game I was watching. And I'm grilling. I'm listening to the game. I eat dinner. I come down. I sit. And I watch just the eighth and ninth inning. It I don't have to just sit and focus on it the way I do with other sports. So yeah, it's not as exciting as football or basketball, but that's the beauty. You can sort of integrate it into your your viewing habits just a little bit differently, just in the background. It's really working for me. Yeah, there's just something about baseball, right? Like Sean and me were talking about yeah. this. You know, your first experience at a baseball game, you know, just there's something about it, especially in the summertime when the weather is nice. Just baseball is like America, and there's something about it. Like it's just there's something cool about it. I, I know what it is. Sure. It, it goes if you've seen Ken Burns baseball, Billy Crystal nails it in the first three minutes of the documentary. He says baseball is the game my father taught me how to play. Exactly, that's what it is for all of us. And yeah, and it is tough because it is every day. It's 162 games, but it's like you said. I think people need to learn. You don't have to watch every game. You don't have to watch every <laughs> inning. And you can still enjoy the team and enjoy, you know, have a be a fan of that team. You don't have to do. It's not like football where you have to watch all the plays of the seventeen right. games. Yeah, no, it's 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 definitely a marathon, not a sprint. And again, I'm a diehard Braves fan. I've watched maybe a quarter of their games, and of those quarter that I've watched, I've watched maybe half of the actual play. It's just sort of on. You see what's what's happening. Uh, the next morning, while I'm getting ready for work, I just grab a, a sixty to ninety second highlight. Hey, what happened in this game that I missed? Oh, cool. Okay, and then I'm on. That's it. I, and then I'm just off, and I, I'm able to keep tabs. Because yeah, if you're trying to watch the entire season 162 games plus the playoffs like my goodness that's, that's a lot stuff. of baseball that's crazy stuff. i know some people do it man and and i guess i would like to i mean maybe when i'm retired right. i could do that but otherwise but baseball it's on the right track man the last thing they need to do to fix the game is in the arbitration process where, again, an arbiter just looks at your numbers and just decides this is what you're worth and this is what you're going to get, they have to re-incentivize hitting and stolen bases. P people hit home runs not only because, oh, it wins games and you look at the advanced metrics, it's because it pays. 
It pays too much. And if you can incentivize some of these smaller dudes, these five foot nine second basemen that, oh man, stealing 33 bases and hitting 315 is going to make me a millionaire 10 times over each season. Yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm not going to bulk up and just adjust my launch angle and try to just jack 24 to 28 home runs. You bring the element of speed and contact back into the game. You still have your home run hitters, three through five, three through six in the lineup, and it's going to bring it back to the game that it was when, at least when I was growing up. Stephen, you're kind yeah. of my age. Yeah. Kind of, you know, when we were growing up, it was a much better game then. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm an analytics guy. I love the analytics. I worked with the Blazers in the scouting department yeah. where we used a lot of analytics. But at the same time, you need to have some strategy to the game. And right mm-hmm. now in baseball, there's a lot of strategy that's gone and it's all about the home runs and the walks, right? Like it's not yeah. about stealing second or, you know, getting a hit here, but you talked about the pitchcock, and it's going to be great in the playoffs. So the playoffs are four and a half hours. long. Yes. Get that pitch clock, get it down to three hours, two and a half, two forty-five. That's when it's going to be a sweet spot. Oh man. Especially because October baseball, man, when finally it stops being the like lazy summertime pastime game. And then there's just 48,000 screaming fans Every waiting. Towels. It's intense. Every pitch matters. Man. And if we can speed that up just a little bit, man, ba- base, it's the most beautiful game. I mean, I know I'm an NBA guy, but baseball is what had my heart first. There was a time in my life all I cared about was baseball. And I don't mean like it was the only sport I cared about. I mean, it was the only thing in my life I gave a damn about. I would love to get there again. Leave it here. Nirvana for you on your Monday. You're welcome. Peter Samson and for John Canzano. It's the BFT. JC will be back next week. What year did this come out? 92? 91, 92? Somewhere around there. I was just looking that, uh, speaking of, uh, say, 30 years ago, Toys R Us is coming back. I didn't realize this. Toys R Us is going to be in every Macy's starting in the next few months. And they're going to be a little bit smaller, some of them, but they're going to range from 1,000 square feet up to 10,000 square feet. I'm excited about this, man. I don't know if you guys were Toys R Us kids growing up. I uh, I wasn't. I wanted to be. But I went there just enough time as a kid uh, to, you know, salivate and uh, just beg for the next time, you know, which wouldn't be for, say, a year or so. But, like, my kid got to go once. uh 2018 is when Toys R Us closed all its stores. My kid got to go once, but he was so little. He was like two years old, and I took him his first birthday, and it was basically just knock yourself out. I'm going to buy whatever you want up to a certain point. And, man, watching him run around, and he, he was little. He did that like that wide-legged run that they do. You know what I'm talking about? And, uh, man, it was even as a parent, it was just so awesome. And it took me back to you know thinking when I was a kid, and uh, it was so exciting to be able to go. And, of course, you know, my family, we didn't have a lot of money, so it's not like we could get anything I wanted. I wasn't one of those kids that goes and gets a new bike every year. I had the same bike from, like, the age of 6 to, uh, <laughs> I don't know, 13, 14. Yeah, it was, it was pretty small on me. Uh, but, man, it was just such a magical time. And I'm excited that at least some kids, to some degree, are going to have that again, man. Did, did you go? Did you guys go to Toys R Us growing up? Yeah, I went to Toys R Us growing up. In fact, 
I uh, I was there quite a bit when I was a child, and I would say for that reason, it's uh, it's one of the more memorable going out of business uh, s- stories or moments of yeah. my lifetime. You know, like I, I think of when I think of companies like notable companies or uh, businesses that have gone under, I think of Toys R Us is one of the first that came to mind. Like there was not only Toys R Us, but there was always Babies R Us too. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, no, I remember visiting Toys R Us quite a bit and, and really liking it in there when I was little. Yeah, it was awesome, man. And uh, hopefully this does well for Macy's, too, because the last time I was in a Macy's, I went to a, this is probably two years ago. I was covering a Blazers game. I forgot there was a game that night. And, and uh, <laughs> you can hear me. You can't see me. And that means I'm dressed uh, pretty casually. But also, you, if you're going to the game to represent the team, you're going to be in the, you want to be dressed decently. And I was like, oh, man. Uh, well, I'll just run to Macy's real quick when I get off work. And I'll just go grab, you know, like a sweater or something, you know, so I look decent. I went into that Macy's at Lloyd Center, and it was me. And two people walking around like zombies that I presume worked there in the entire store. Growing up, Macy's was like popping, and it was dead. So I hope that Toys R Us maybe helps bring some foot traffic in there. Did you, did you go to Toys R Us growing up, Stephen? Yeah, you know, I, I didn't want to grow up. I was a Toys R Us kid. <laughs> but uh, no, so uh, I've actually been to the one in Macy's at the town center, Cognos Town Center. They've had it there for a little bit. I remember my parents told me, because uh, my kids were really excited about yeah. it. So my seven-year-old... I took him a few times to the one in Clackamas when he was uh, going out of business, and he loved it, right? Like, it was his dream and everything. So, yeah, I mean, I grew up doing that, and, like, you know, I was a bigger KB Toys guy. Yeah. I was more KB Toys than a Toys R Us guy, but, uh, yeah, I mean, Toys R Us, part of, uh, just part of the culture, right? And you talked about businesses went under. It's like that. Toys R Us and Blockbuster, like those are the two. Blockbusters, two for me that I always think right. about. Yeah, that makes. What else needs to come back? I, it's so fun. I wouldn't be surprised if something like a Blockbuster. I know there's still the one in Bend. It's the last yeah, the one. one, but I wouldn't be surprised if something like that makes a comeback. Where it, at a certain point, people want the experience of actually walking in and browsing again. I know you can kind of do it at a Red Box, sort of, nah. but there's something about that experience. And there are wonderful like independent video stores that you can hit for hard to find stuff. Like yeah. uh, like movie madness on uh, on Belmont here in Portland, but I kind of miss that experience. KB Toys, you mentioned. What else needs to come back? Tower Records and Sam Goody, man, that's what needs to come back. Except I thought about it. I remember when uh, uh, Dr. Dre's The Chronic 2001 came out. And that was the first time I paid $20 for a new CD. And, man, that would be like 35 bucks yeah. today. I'm not paying $35 for an album, but I would love to actually have that in-mall record experience. And there are great independent music stores. I can go get whatever. But it's something about that that mall like gathering experience. What else needs to come back? Well, I remember to that point, like... When I'd go to a birthday party, my go-to gift was always the Fred Meyer CD gift certificate. Oh, like, yeah. You could just get one CD, and like that's what you and I would always buy, like, my friends. Just like, oh, hey, yeah, go get a CD for Fred Meyer. But, yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's what I'm about. That would be, that would be pretty cool to have something back, come back like that. Sports Center. You know how it, I feel like Sports Center used to be so much more iconic when it had the little ticker on the left. Yep. And it, it tells you what topics were coming up. That's the first thing that comes to mind when I think of – Oh, I, I really miss that. I miss I miss vintage Sports Center. Um, Circuit <laughs> City. What there was that go. one? Circuit City. Circuit, Circuit City. City. Yeah. The yeah. They went away. Yeah, man. What else has there was? Let's see. Circuit City. There was a, not fries, but there was a. It was like a video music. Oh gosh, it started with an F. It's it's not fries. That's the electronics yeah. retailer. Fries was kind of an interesting store. 
It was a, uh, it was so big. It was kind of like the Ikea of electronic stores. And, uh, I remember just being, have you guys ever been to a Fry's? Yeah. Oh yeah. It's just, uh, it's, it's interesting. It's kind of like, oh, everything's a little bit older and, uh. Yeah, I don't. I don't really know how to describe the fries experience. It's pretty easy to get lost in there. And, it's a unique uh, experience. It's, for it sure. definitely is. Man, I used to get frustrated going to fry. By the uh, FYE is what I'm thinking of. Okay. It's like, okay. So you get, yeah, that's yeah, why yeah. I got it confused with fries. But they were kind of a, a multimedia, like CDs and DVDs and all that. But fries, man. I talked to a guy that worked there once. I used to go there to, you know, I used to build PCs and stuff back before you could just get what exactly whatever specs you want on the internet. I'm talking this is the mid '90s, late '90s, and uh, man, it was so frustrating when. You, you make the trip, and especially, like, I'd be a teenager. Like, I'd have to ride with my dad, and I'd get, you know, like a networking card or a graphics card or a sound card, and it wouldn't work. And I eventually talked to someone. They said, yeah, when you re- if we get a return, we just rebox it and put it on the shelf, and it takes, I, I think it was like six returns before we actually remove it from the stock because there's so much user error. I'm like, well, dude, I know what I'm doing. This isn't user error. No wonder I keep having all these components fail. And I got to take a trip out to Woodburn every time to get another sound card. And I stopped going at that point. (laughs) That is insane. It's insane. The the other thing that needs to come back is arcades. Like, uh, like, uh, there's a Wonderland by my house. But I remember there was numerous Wonderlands around the area. Now there's the one in Milwaukee. But, yeah, like, there's no arcades. We were in uh, Lincoln City with the family. And they had like this mini arcade at the outlet mall, but it was closed for some reason. And my son wanted to go to arcade. I'm like, I Google it. There's nothing around. Like, go you to can't... Seaside next yeah. time. Well, go to Seaside. We... They have a fun arcade. Yeah, fun I don't want to go to Seaside. It's a little crowded there. It's, uh, nah. I was not a Seaside fan. I was at a brew pub in Grand Rapids yesterday, and I was rocking some Centipede. They had a little yeah. arcade there, and it was uh, it was Galaga, uh, Miss Pac-Man, Donkey Kong, uh, Guitar Hero, Big Buck Hunter, Centipede. It was like all the cl- the hits from basically like 83 to whenever Guitar Hero came out, yeah. uh, 2007, I guess it was. And, man, I got down. It was a great experience. And the thing is, it wasn't a quarter. It was 50 cents to a buck, depending on what you were playing. But, man, I was happy to just burn a few bucks and play some Centipede. It took me back. I remember being a little kid, man. My dad... He was in this bowling league. He's not a big bowler either. And in hindsight, it was obviously his chance just to, like, get away for, like, once every two weeks and just have a beer and hang out with other dudes instead of the family. And every once in a while, my mom would be like, take your son. Take your son. I'm, like, six years old. And I'd get so excited because inevitably we'd be in the truck and we're going to the bowling alley. And he'd be like, okay, so here's what we're going to do. I'm, I'm hanging out with my friends, and I want you to let me hang out with my friends if you need me. I'm here if you need me. And then he would hand me this giant pile of quarters. And they had, uh, they had, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, Burger Madness or whatever. And, uh, and, and Paperboy and Pole Position. And then my favorite, Centipede. And I'd have this giant pile of quarters. And I'd be like, well, with this many quarters, I'm going to play all night. I'm set. And I'd rack them up. And it, it would take me like 15 minutes to get through five bucks a quarter. Because I was six. I was terrible yeah. at games. And then 15 minutes. Dad, I spent all my money. Can, when can we go? When can we go? When, he hasn't even bowled his first frame yet. When can we go? So it was fun to relive it. I, I, I got my initials on that thing a couple times yesterday. It was good. Yeah, get get the arcade going. I'm with you. Like, my parents, I remember they would drop me off. I'm probably like eight or nine. Same thing at Wonderland. Like, here you go. We're, we'll pick you up in an hour or an hour and a half. Just have yeah. fun. It's like, all right, cool. Yeah, just a nickel a game. It was easy. It was- I, I 
can't in my good like I I really want to enjoy arcades because I love I I love arcades and I was in one like a month ago. I was in Seaside, and now that I'm an adult, I just have a hard time spending money in them. <laughs> and what what's the deal with that? Like I I really wish that I I would feel good about like budgeting twenty dollars and just letting myself. Yeah guilt-free, enjoy an arcade, but I feel like I have a hard time doing that. Am I the only one? No, no, not at all. But, but it, again, it can't be anything. It has to be that era from when you did it. Like, for me, it's got to be a Centipede or a Donkey Kong or Street Fighter 2. Like, it has to be those. Or even, like, a, like a, the first Mortal Kombat and Killer Instinct. Like, as a teenager, we had an arcade in McMinnville that I hit all the time, Vids Arcade. But anything past that i just don't have that sort of emotional like connection teenage mutant ninja turtles arcade version oh man that That side scroller man have you played shredder's revenge i have it but i've seen it i kind of want it it's dope and my favorite favorite musician mike Patton, the singer for faith no more sings the theme song in it it's so good i may have to splurge and say it's for my uh for my son but for me it's cheap it's not like a 60 dollar game i think it's like 29 bucks 19 (laughs) bucks something like it's fun it's the it's not like the original nes like over had right. one that was impossible, but impossible. it's that it's the side scrolling beat 'em yeah. up like that that number two and three were for the arcade. That's Highly awesome. recommended. All it's right. fun. All right, we'll go and come back. One more segment on the other side. If you're in Portland, stick around. I'm on for another hour. You'll hear me uh, cut loose as I like to do on the pulse. Leave it here. Welcome back to the program. I'm Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. One final segment of the Bald Face Truth. JC is out on vacation this week. Helping to run camp exceptional. I'm looking forward to hearing stories from the camp when he is back next week. Such an awesome thing. So cool. And, of course, we had the Celebrity Golf Tournament on Friday. Sounds like it was a great event. I'm sorry that I missed it. Sort of. I mean, I do. I love I love uh, working the event. It's awesome to be part of that event. But I'm going to be honest, man. I needed a vacation. It had been a long, long time. And it's going to be a long time before I can take a, a, a real one again. I'm uh, uh, Kim and I are in the middle of uh, we're planning a, a trip to Italy in September of next year. And so it's it's not going to be short because why would you only go for a week, right? But I have to, uh, I got to really save my vacation days. I got to save that PTO so that I can make sure that I have a buffer for if I need a day here or there, and then I still have, we're looking at we're looking at two weeks there. So I'm planning that now. I'm very excited. I've never been, uh, and I'm looking forward to it, man. Yeah, that would be sick. That's one of those places where you have to go for you know, 10 to 14 days, right? Like you can't just go for a week because you got so much, There's so to much to see. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I minored in Italian in college. I, I speak Italian and, and I've never been, I, uh, I had the opportunity to go as an exchange student in college. I did not take it, mm-hmm. uh, due to life circumstances. I regret it deeply. Uh, so I'm going to be working over the next year to try to get that, uh, that, uh, ability back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everyone I've talked to, you know, I used to drive Uber and Lyft. And so yeah. I talked to people just about vacations and anyone that went to Italy, like, Loved it. Mm-hmm. Said it's just the best experience because the food is just unbelievable. 
Yeah, absolutely, so, and and it's so diverse. Know. It's so diverse, you know. In in the south, of course. I mean, of course, there's pasta. Everyone knows pasta, but you go up north, and it's a lot more. Uh, you know, risotto and polenta is your starch instead of that. You can go to like Genoa or Venice, and it's a lot of seafood. You know, on the coast, and then of course there's Florence and the whole Tuscany region where you, you know buildings from the 13th century and stuff that people still live in. I'm excited. It's a shame that it's uh, more than a year away, but I'm already uh, I'm already planning, and uh, I've already looked for my passport realized that it's lost so i have plenty of uh plenty of time to uh to get a new one but mostly i need to uh, i need to bone up on the language it's uh it's been uh a minute it's it's funny how that goes away too you it's know one of the I mean? first thing that goes after high school yeah so I, exactly i i i still so i did the three years in college and you know but all of a sudden you go like yeah this is, this is 15 you know years ago i don't really remember it as well so uh it was good to be out of town but it is good to be back i do want to say goodbye to eugene klamath falls and roseburg appreciate you. If you're in Portland, keep it here. The poll starts next.